This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My upcoming novel, Only the Dead, is available for pre-order now. You can check out the title drop video and cover drop video on my social channels, website, officialjackcar.com, and on my YouTube channel. My guest today, Mike Glover. Mike is an Army Special Operations veteran who then went to work for the CIA before starting Fieldcraft Survival. His upcoming book is called Prepared and is available on June 6th. Now, without further ado, Mike Glover. Dude, let's kick this thing off. Let's do it. Man, like you've already been here for four hours. So it's like, I, I would stay here for 12. We've already, <laughs> so we got to catch up. Um, I almost purposely didn't bring up a couple things just so we could talk about them on the podcast. So we didn't have to recreate. Awesome. But um, thanks for coming up, man. No, thanks for having me. It's uh, really awesome to be here. I mean, it's like, yeah, you got the high ground. Dude, got the high ground. It was important uh, having the high ground, obviously, to me. Um, but uh, we've been meaning to do this for a while too, to get you out here, but it's crazy. There's so much going on I mean, you're building a business. I'm essentially building a business because anything that you do is, is a business. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's just crazy. Like it is just go, go, go all the time. So I'm glad we finally made it happen. Me too. Um, cause usually I come down and see you at, uh, in Heber at Fieldcraft or the house or, or whatever, and everything you have going on down there, which is just awesome. I find myself in Heber, Fairly often because that's where the motorsports place is for it's all the fun. motorcycles and yeah. got new the, black rifle coffees. We're going to be right next door to that. Perf. Oh, so that's what's going in right there. Yeah, right next nice. to Carl. I think Carl Malone has the franchise, and yeah. it's right next door to the Power Motorsports place. And they're building that thing out like it's not done yet. But when they finally get that thing done, that's going to be nice. It's going to be epic. Like I, I, I never was going to be into Power Motorsports because I was not in a place that that was like a thing. But here, having the ability to drive UTVs on the road legally, mm. and then all the trail systems behind where we live yeah. is amazing. So I, I'm, I'm Polaris. I got a Polaris already, but nice. um, I'm even looking at the uh, snow bikes. Oh, yeah. Which is going to be rad. Dude, snow bikes up here would they're be rad. Awesome. They're pretty sweet up here. Yeah. Um, they're hard on the packed like trails. Uh, yeah, for me, it was anyway. You need powder, right? Powder. Yeah. At least I did. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I went behind where you are. Uh, up on the hill, yeah. Up there, we yep. parked and we we had bikes and we took them out there. Awesome, yeah. And it was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. I hear I hear that a lot of people because they forget like you stop, you don't have to put a foot down. That's where they fall over. Mm. But it's super intuitive versus moving a snow sled is very different. Like a yeah. snowmobile is kind of hard to manage. And it's a different system. Throwing your weight and place Throwing it your first, weight. it doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it's kind of, it doesn't make sense, but the bike is pretty intuitive if you've, if you've ridden motorcycles, yeah, which you have. it really was. You riding motorcycles? What, you got rid of the Husky? Uh, no, well, our friend has the Husky now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little big, it was like a little big, I needed That's to redo the suspension. It, yeah. it was it's a little big. bit big. It's too big. Um, but I want to get a new one. Yeah. I want to get either the 501 or the 450. Yeah, I'd go to 450. 450. There's yeah. more, it seems like there's more options with the 450, yeah. it seems like for whatever reason, because it's probably because it's a category, so you know. Yeah, but uh, but I but the Husky 450 or that the 501 is cool, and it was awesome, a little big. It's a little big, but with your suspension you put on it was like high. Yes, is what I mean by big. It's super high, and it's made for. It's actually made more for 
changing between trails and it's made for water trails it's not a single track bike so it's not like what you would expect in a two-stroke it's um and it and again my the reason i sold it to you was because i wanted to get a bike i could attach to my truck Uh, and that's my path now so i need a bike that's a couple hundred 300 pounds max versus that bike's pretty heavy to put that that you mean put it in that trailer hitch thing and you can use that lift. Yes. That thing's yeah. pretty sweet. That's it a is. really cool cool it way is. to go. Yeah. Especially that one that you guys have. There was that one you guys were testing out that was like a, it was almost like a jack almost. It was like it, was, yeah. it wasn't like one you just have to muscle your bike up onto or whatever. It was like a it was yeah. pretty serious. Well, you and and what I've realized in, you know, like this I have a Scout camper now on a Bowen custom flatbed. And that's like that's like a tier one upgrade nice. from rooftop camping. Okay. But it sleeps five people. You know, it's got a rooftop camp where it's like a pop-up tent. Yeah. And then it's got the queen size bed in, inside. It's got a heater. It's all this luxurious stuff. Nice. But what I noticed is uh, when I went camping at uh, Flaming Gorge, which is beautiful, by the way. It's amazing. It's right down the road from here. You should go um, by the dam. When I parked and got set up, I'm like, oh, I need to run the grocery store to get some stuff. And I'm like, oh, you're already set up. I'm already, I got the awning out. I got everything laid out. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I, I just need to be able to jump on a bike, like a, like a Chuck Norris bike, you yeah. know, oh, minus yeah. the rockets and or, ride out the Or town. maybe the rockets. Maybe the rocket. Inert. That we'll do inert. Cool. I wonder what happened to that bike that they used in Delta Force, like the prop bike. Like, where is that today? It's some, somebody's got it in their collection. Somebody's got it. And it's just wasting away because it Ooh. needs to be out on something. Contact me. <laughs> How awesome would that be to just roll out in that Dude, bed? with the, with the, with I the, can't believe I've never thought of that before. Yeah. Like I thought of all sorts of different movie props, and, but I, that I would never be the thought about prop. like where that one is. And the, and you know, the rocket pods are inert and they fought, they probably shot like the, 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 uh, the firework version of the rocket. Yep. But even to be able to do that on the inert version would be fun. That would be awesome. Remember those rockets, those little, they still have them, right? Little rockets that you could mill the models to. Yes. So I made, I made a, uh, I made a little uh, like RPG type thing as a kid, yeah. you know, so I made the rocket then I cut the fins so it would go down oh. the tube and then I had the tube at the end. I think it was probably just duct tape with like a little hole in it. Yeah. And then, but instead of the rocket tube, I know I, I had the rocket launcher attached up here so you yeah. could press it. The wires running down the back of the PVC pipe. Oh. So it would go into the back of the rocket thing that then had the, the actual rocket in it. And then I could shoot. How it. old were you? Uh, this was like last year. No, I was was a kid. This is probably like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Oh, that's very, that's very insurgent of you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty cool. And then you could, what I also, well, maybe I'll tell you, but you take the, you take the, uh, was it black powder? Whatever you could buy at the time or whatever you, maybe I cut caps open. I'll have to put some more thought into this. I haven't thought of this in a long time. The little red, it's like rocket powder. Yeah, but maybe those red cap guns that were like the... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were kind of like uh, on a stripper clip almost, but they were all plastic. Ooh, you know yeah. what I mean? And so I think I cut those open with an X-Acto knife uh, like hours until I had a big pile of whatever that whatever they put in there. Um, and then I put that in the part of the rocket that uh, would shoot out the parachute so it would come down. Ooh. So I made, I, made, I made essentially a little... Yeah. Maybe we should edit that part. Bomb? Yeah. What I like, uh, somebody was telling me this recently, a guy named Travis at the uh, American Contingency Expo thing, and he said they had a post of a cap gun with the rings. You know, you had the like a 38 cylinder yeah. gut, and they said, I could smell this photo. Because remember that smell? Oh, yeah. I can smell it right now. I can smell it right now, man. Yep. It's like, oh my gosh. And my, That's my, like 80s kids right there. 80s kids. Uh-huh. My, my kid, um, my boy, 
uh, I have twins, boy and a girl, and they're three. Never done the cowboy thing. And, and my son, up until this point, has never watched cowboy movies. Mm-hmm. I put that belt on him. I did it the same thing with my daughter. And intuitively, my son, I got it on video. Um, he immediately goes to the holster, grabs the gun, and then, and then uh, uh, strides out the hammer like on a single action pistol. He just mm-hmm. pulls it with his opposite hand and goes click. And I'm like, boy, that was cool. Do it again. And then I said, put your hands up. And he puts his hands up and he goes straight to it, grabs it, pulls it and he goes click. And I'm like, where did he learn that from? It's like, is that pre disposed in, in. wired in her genetics? I'm like, and then my daughter, she did the same thing. She has two of them. She pulls both pistols at the same time and goes choo choo. And I'm like, wow. Nice. Like this is just Americans right here. These are this nice. is like the fabric of this country. It's so cool. I remember it, it was so fun back in the day. You'd have to have like a, a test case where you took somebody who has never seen a cartoon, even like you said, yeah. Sam or anything like that, and put it on them and see if they could could do it. It's got to be intuitive, man. Yeah. I imagine a uh, what are we looking at? A couple hundred years, a hundred years solid of of gun culture yeah. and black powder of you know that yeah, whole life. There. It's yeah. in there. It's got to be in there. It's yeah. got to be. Another meme I saw, like you said, they can smell this photo. There's another one uh, out there I saw a couple of years ago, and it was like, they say that you can't hear a photo, and then it says '80s kids," and it shows that Airwolf, like oh. right here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dude, that was my favorite. My my favorite so. show. One of my favorite shows was Airwolf. So great. And it, what was so cool about it was the the sound effects but also when that thing went into rocket mode that rocket pod that dropped off the bottom oh so sweet so cool man uh that that's what made me want to be a task force 160 pilot because i was like that that's cool that's nice. cool yeah oh, i love that show that was i mean i remember watching the first episode actually to this day i remember, yeah. remember watching that first episode where it spins right here they're all watching it in like that elevated thing with all the glass before that oh. guy steals it and it's hovering and then it turns towards them and you can see their faces oh. and then it just you oh, know man. best theme oh, song yeah. ever too so great there's oh, so man. many great theme songs back then it's different now you know? It, it, um you know i was talking to baker from black rifle coffee we were talking in, uh, on the hunt and desert rep and what he was saying um, is we were the last, we're the last generation kind of plugged in to analog or unplugged from technology and running analog. And when you think about that, our entire childhood and, and our development was on analog. Yeah. So we didn't have all these data inputs, these algorithms controlling behavior. And there's something to be said about that because it's almost like an old world and a new world. No, it's crazy. It's, isn't it crazy, man? I know my wife yeah. and I try not to talk about it around our kids, like because it comes out like, oh man, these kids today, uh, they don't have. They, I feel sorry for them almost. Oh, you do, you know. So we can't really let them, you know. We don't want them to just have this, like, oh, why are mom and dad always talking about what a bummer it is to grow up today? That sucks, you know. Yeah. So yeah. we try not to talk about it around them, but we think about it. That's for sure. And we talk about it when we grab a glass of wine at the end of the night and sit down on the couch because we have such great memories growing up and we grew yeah. up during the same time. But for us, you know, all those shows that had a theme song that you could you could spit right out and then had some sort of a vehicle that was like a character in yeah, the show. A plot. It was uh, General Lee or it was Knight Rider, the A-Team Band, Starchy and Hutch so Car, amazing. you know, all of that, you know, Miami Vice, the, the Fall Guys, Fall Guys truck, which was awesome, that, by the that way. That was bad. It was, it, well, it was a, it was GMC. A, the GMC, mm-hmm. the brown one. So great. So on gold with a big eagle on the 
oh, God, hood. Man. We should. I want to get that. Yeah, I've owned that for a somebody. Long time. Somebody has that somewhere. So, a lot of people have recreated it. Like you can go online yeah. and look in images because uh, I've done this, and uh, so a lot of people have them out there. Just have like made their own and have it in their barn or their garage yeah. or whatever else. But the original one that they actually jumped. I don't know how many they had. They must have had a few because they did some pretty sweet. They destroyed jumps. those things, and it was not wasn't CGI. Like they sent that thing no, it was flying. Real. It yeah. was like a person inside of it. Remember when it jumps over that Porsche in the I think it's a Porsche in the oh. beginning of the theme song. It like jumps over that thing. So rad. Fall Guy Such was awesome. Yeah, yeah, Fall Guy is like a sleeper one because not a lot of people remember the Fall Guy. Ooh, I do. I think about it daily. Me too. Much. Me too. And it was during that time also where all of a sudden everybody started having a background in Vietnam. And I'm not sure with the Fall Guy like where that came in, but they have a Return to Vietnam episode in the Fall yeah. Guy. Yeah. So Magnum did it, of course. Magnum did the Return to Vietnam. Hmm. Um, so did the Fall Guy. They The A-Team did it. A-Team, um, of course. So yeah. they saw those shows, started to be like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it was like the 80s, like, that was what you did because you had to prove, I mean, not prove, but these skills had to come from somewhere, yes. you know, for these guys. Like, they oh, were where was that? Oh, Vietnam. You know, that's, that's the that's place that makes sense. So yeah, all of them. And, and Simon you, and Simon, all, you know, even like the Simon, merchandising AJ. of GI Joe, like GI Joe, remember the cards oh. in GI Joe? Oh yes. I have a huge collection of GI Joe's. Have, do you, do you, are they out of the, like, do you have the in cards box still? And out of box and cards. I have the cards that I cut out and I was just thinking about this recently because I gave them to my daughter when we were still in Coronado in the SEAL team so a decade ago. Yeah. And uh, they're somewhere. I don't know when one of these moves where yeah. they are, but I had all of my ones from a kid that I would uh, cut out of the box Same. with like the kitchen scissors. You know, I got Snake Eyes. I have Duke. I have all those guys. Dutch. I, got, I have all their cards. And they I were all Vietnam era oh, yeah. experiences. Because otherwise, you know, where else they come from? Exactly. exactly. Well, the, I mean, the original GI Joes in from from World War Two. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. For yeah. some reason, I thought it was late sixties, like the doll one. I had one of the big ones before yeah. they kind of whatever you did back then reinvented or relaunched uh, in the, like the early eighties, probably around eighty three time frame. Yeah. If memory serves, they came out with the smaller figures, like the Star Wars type figures, yeah. plastic ones. But before that, in 70s late 60s i think they had the doll version they did and so I, and he had the beard the whole thing Maybe yeah. that's where my beard thing comes from because i was a little ahead of the time with the beard were you yeah so 95 before i went to the seal teams i went to alaska um spent about three months up in alaska and came back with big old beard long hair it was awesome yeah. but nobody else had beards back then so like you walked into a store people were like you know, you got the looks. Yeah, you, like this bearded guy. man. I looked like, yeah, you, I did look like a homeless person though, because I had like, <laughs> you know, the the. Uh, Your beard grows in pretty grizzly. Especially, yeah, yeah, it was, and it was, yeah, it does. And uh, I had the army surplus green pants, you know, OGs, like leather jacket, a flannel, and wow. this big old beard, you know. I'm thinking Rambo. I already had my CCW. I was training. I was training with these uh, uh, SF guys. How from old were Vietnam. you? Uh, so that's like 1920, 21, somewhere in there. Pre seal. Pre seal. Yeah, yeah. Same. I had the same experience. So when I lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, I went to ninjutsu school. Nice. And all of the guys who trained me in Fayetteville were all SF guys. Nice. And I remember the ninjutsu school. Ninjutsu school. Were they capitalizing on the ninja craze of the 80s? They were. Um, they were, but they also on the teams because all of them were like seventh group. Or mm -hmm. I don't know if they were third. I remember them all being like mostly seventh group guys. And I remember them all culturally... Um, they lived it, man. They lived the dojo lifestyle. I think it, the dude's name is Steven, Steven something. He's like one of the first guys who brought Japanese jujitsu or ninjutsu. Oh, the guy, he's like America. in Ohio, right? Yes, he's got the um, mustache. Yeah, uh, I'm going to, 
think of his name in a second, but yeah, yeah. he was awesome in the magazines and the magazines, 80s. books. Oh, it's great. So he had little videotapes that I had all the, the video series. He started the whole like Kung Fu magazine and all this culture around shuriken it. shuriken. Mm-hmm. No, not many people know about shuriken, man. It's old school. Yeah, I know. You must be qualified. <laughs> um, I, this here's one thing is, um, so my mom, we didn't have a lot of money at the time, but my mom knew I wanted to be in martial arts. I had taken a little Taekwondo and I'm oh, like, yeah. this is boring. You know, it's like Kata. Yeah. You're doing the Katas, the discipline, the Olympic stuff. And my mom's friends who are Korean owned the dojos. I said, I wanted to do something else. So I, I showed Rang Do. Hua Rang Do. Yeah. See. Oh man. Did Kata. you take Taekwondo? I did. Yeah. Well, I, yeah that was, that's, I, I, that's a lot of people's entry point. hundred you know? percent. Cause you can go to the, you could go to the yellow pages back yes. then and be like, oh, here's one that's semi-close. Yeah. I'm going to go there, you <laughs> the know? But then, <laughs> but then I did that too. And then very, very quickly I realized that, you know, because I'm watching, that's like yeah. Mike Tyson time frame. So I'm watching those. Yes. I'm watching the older fights when you could find them, like on ESPN yeah. 2 or whatever may have been, whatever. Yeah. Late night fights where they'd show some Muhammad Ali stuff or maybe a documentary, that sort yeah. of a thing. And I'm like, why, why are their hands not here? Why are they protecting this jaw? Why is their yeah. elbow? Why is their elbow in? Why are, why are they moving in a different way than I'm seeing yeah. here at the Taekwondo school where I'm like doing my kata, I know, I know. You know. And then why are you like not like you flipping your foot and you're just like touching the guy? Ah, it's like soccer. Yeah. Like, ah, you're like oh that didn't hurt. That hurt. It was <laughs> like a point. But um, when I went to ninjutsu, I realized quickly that these guys were different. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember them almost separating my shoulder. Um, during demonstrations because they would say, Hey, can I get a demonstrator? And I would come forward cause I'd volunteer. I was 15 years old at the time. And they were like trying to break me in half. And I'm like, nice. well, this is violent. Nice. And I kind of was introduced to violence that way. And, and I remember one time my mom brought me out and she brought me out and they said, Hey, uh, cause this is Fayetteville, Fort Bragg. They gave a location, which is like an intersection that you had to meet at. And then they get instructions from there. And we we're in the tank trails and we show up in this group and I get out of the car and they had different works, different stations set up. One of the stations were shurikens. They were throwing out like a piece of plywood. One of the stations was climbing trees using claws oh. and like the ninjutsu foot things. I might still have those. Yeah. I think I have them too. I padded them. Oh, did you? Oh yeah. Cause remember it was just like oh, it was metal. Like metal. Yeah. yeah. And you so could like I hurt took, somebody. I found some foam. And I cut it oh. and then I taped it to the inside with like electrical tape. Smart. So your hand would go in and would, gri- I, I found those not too long ago. Oh my gosh. They're, they're around here somewhere. Yeah. That's yeah. from like a couple years ago when you yeah. were doing training. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the greatest thing was um, my mom is like, oh, what is this? This is weird. And, <laughs> and there's, there's one of the workshops or the stations were century assassination, century takeout. Nice. And so by the book and protocol, they were doing how to step, approach, heel to toe, really soft steps, come up, stay narrow, stay slim, and then work your hands and then and taking a wooden katana because they were doing nice. the inert. And shit. Oh, like that? Not, oh, yeah. Not base of the skulls of the right of the spine? There was a little bit of that, too. Nice. That was good stuff. It was pretty. Uncommon yeah. Valor. We learned a lot in the 80s Ooh, from movies God. and magazines and TV shows. Yeah. You know, with the, well, gosh, I remember the exact line. I haven't watched that movie in a long time. I think he says, base the skull to the right of the spine, and what the Japanese call the wind gate. You insert, scrumble the brains, Ooh. and what you have left is just ragdoll. The wind gate. Oh. And then he drops them. That's interesting. Someone will correct me on that. But that's pretty close for off the cuff. That for is not close. having seen that for a long time. Like, that's pretty dang close. Do you think, that, do you think there's something to... Because I, I felt like as a child, when I... 
you know, had a inert MP5 that was mm. battery operated. That was a water gun, Ooh, and incredible. I used electrical tape. And I, I literally planned operations as a 12 year old kid with neighborhood kids, low crawling through the area, thinking I was like Carlos Hathcock in the middle of the Vietnam oh, yeah. War with a BB gun. Do you think that that training for us was rehearsals to make us good soldiers, sailors, Absolutely. military? Per- yeah, and oh, they don't yeah. get that now. Absolutely was. Um, but you had to work for it a little bit back then, um, like finding the Charles Henderson book on Carlos Hathcock and then reading, yeah. reading that book. And then what is it? Marine to, Sniper. Marine Sniper. Yeah, that's yep. my favorite book. And then uh, thinking about, wait a sec, what he's doing this shot with a 50 cal and you're thinking about 50 cals that maybe you saw maybe in a World War II movie probably at the time and thinking, well, how did you do this? With that, oh, and then because yeah. you have to picture it in your head, because you can't just go like, "Oh, let me look this up," dun, 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 and then images pops up. No, you had to like kind of figure it out, and then go to another book, maybe go to like uh, an encyclopedia, and you had to like follow the clues to try to figure out, you know, a lot of these things that are being described to you in these novels or books, um, and then be like, "Oh, what is that?" Okay, okay, because you're picturing it in your head. But then you had the Mac Bolan books uh, in my case, and those mm. had all these weapon descriptions and a sketch of these weapons in in each one. I was a yeah. member of the Mac Bolan fan club, so I get like every month it was or two months or something it was like two mac bowen books an able team a phoenix force and kind of like one extra i think kind of thrown in there um posters with all the weapons on them and all that sort of a, a thing so i think that really did help and from that um remember you could get you know the, the guns that we're talking about that uh, looked pretty real yeah uh, back, they oh looked yeah pretty legit and true was, color schemes really yeah wooden stuff on yeah it. there were some really good ones oh back gosh. in the day you know now they're all crazy different colors I know. my buddy tried to order something for his son in california from amazon wouldn't do it and it was like it was like purple and orange and green and couldn't couldn't do it couldn't get it wouldn't deliver to california when i when i was 10 my dad bought me one we were we were poor living in an apartment complex and it was just me and him and when i was 10 years old he bought me one present the only present i wanted and it was a AK-47. And the AK-47 looked exactly like the real thing. Yeah. And it had an RPG adapter. And when you pulled the trigger, because it's battery operated, it went, it went semi-auto, full auto, or shot the RPG. And I remember, I don't know the circumstance, but I remember I got that and I, I cherished it. And I was on the playground playing with it. And imagine like Today. R- rural Daytona Beach, Florida, at the time, I remember a conversation taking place with some lady and my dad, but I was out in the playground, like shooting all my playmates with an AK-47, like the only Asian kid in my neighborhood running around with an AK-47 in the 80s on a playground, like just looking like a real AK-47 with a magazine and everything. And then my dad's saying something like, hey, son, um, yeah, let's don't go to the playground with that thing anymore. Like, what? Why? Like, well, it's, it kind of looks real and you, I don't want you like running around shooting kids you don't know because, you know, they, they, they said something and I'm like, okay, dad, like no big deal. So that was the time and those were the things that we dealt with, which is amazing. What an yeah. amazing job. No, it was great. Those pistols looked, I mean, I still remember to this day that there was a, a 1911 that looked, I mean, I can picture it in my head right now. It was all solid color, like black or, you know, actually one was brown. We had so, we had a lot. We had a yeah. lot of weapons. Access to Grew, a lot. Yeah. Toys R Us had a whole oh, so aisle. Of like realistic guns, and no one thought anything of it. It was Nobody. like fantastic. Yeah, grenades, um, RPGs, oh, knives. Just looking at all that stuff, like oh. oh and sometimes man. I'd get to choose one, Ooh. and I remember one was like, uh, not like the Henry Survival Rifle. It was like a pistol that had like a buttstock you could attach to it, mm. and then a suppressor that would go on the end. And I, so I'd take that because it was like 
rifle-ish at that point to a little kid in like fifth grade. And, uh, and I put on some tiger stripes or some whatever, or black and tiger stripes. And I would burn, um, the end of a uh, cork or my wine bottle Ooh. and then put that on, uh, on my face and everything. And then go up in the Hills and set up a hide site, you know, behind the house and just observe, you know, maybe we should cut that out. That's <laughs> I did the same exact thing, man. But I think that helps. I mean, that, that, yeah. that helps. Um, that was our vision you know? board. We didn't have the ability to access imagery. We were creating our own vision boards. Yeah. And yeah. as I got older, it just kind of morphed. So um, in high school, I'd ride, I'd ride a bike uh, to school back. It was pretty far. Um, then get home. And when I got home, I'd just do pull-ups on uh, this like play structure thing that we had. Mm. So it was pull-ups. But then I would switch grips for some reason because at this point, I would... Had, I had watched either a Betamax or VHS tape that they had from the back of Soldier of Fortune magazine uh, where they showed some buds training and then they mm-hmm. interspersed that with some Vietnam footage of guys with like a stoner just like rock, you know, just cutting down the jungle, you know, with the stoner and stuff. And then they'd go back and show the obstacle course, like how these guys train and show some underwater stuff or whatever else they were showing. But I was just trying to mimic that. So I was trying to put up ropes in the backyard and trees. I would uh, climb up on the roof and shoot my bow down at like an angle and I'd time my myself doing all these things. Um, so I just kind of evolved over time, sprint the hill behind the house a few times. So it was like CrossFit before CrossFit, but I was just visually looking at what they were doing in Vietnam, what they were doing for training and then what I could do in your backyard with what we had, you know, at the time. So I I think in sixth grade, I think it was sixth grade. Um, I did a presentation on Navy SEALs and my uncle was Navy. My dad was army. And so I was undecided what I was going to do, but I, I had, at the at the um um uh what is the store where they have all the the stuff the like army surplus army stores, surplus store. army navy store and they were it was an army navy one and I bought a VHS tape on the Navy SEALs a documentary nice and it's the same one I have it was it was it was amazing it, on the cover it had a guy who's coming out of the water and he had the stuff on oh, his nice. his camouflage and I did a whole presentation on Navy SEALs and their history nice and I remember even then after doing it. And I remember the feeling I got from everybody because everybody was like, whoa, that's like cool stuff. And this is different. And I had a, like an inert grenade as part of this like the display. I love that you could buy inert. They were like legit grenades, right? Like, it was a straight grenade, yeah. pineapple grenade. Yeah, pineapple grenade, the same yeah. thing. I brought it to school. It's fantastic. And and it had the hole in the bottom and yeah, stuff. Yeah, hole in the bottom. It was so cool, man. And, and I, remember, I remember the feeling of, and maybe this is the first time that I felt like, what it's like to feel like you're a Navy SEAL. I don't know what that feels like because I'm not a Navy SEAL. But I remember everybody was like, oh, Mike's cool. Like he did this cool thing. And I was like, huh, he's got a grenade. He's got a grenade <laughs> and he got away he's with got it. A grenade. But I brought school. the Rambo knife, the grenade, nice. the, the presentation. And I remember feeling different. And I was like, this is a thing. So I was the kid who was reading on, you know, Marcinko's books in class, in, in the classroom. And, you know, it was before Delta Force came out with, uh, what was it, uh, Charlie, not Beckwith's book. Beckwith was earlier. He was like 86. Yeah, it, who was it, the guy? He got a lot of Haney. crap. Haney, Eric Haney, um, where he talks about the selection process and all that stuff. Yeah. And those were like the books I was digesting. But everybody knew in the school that I was the guy who was going to go into special operations, right. yeah, yeah. which is, which is crazy. Look back on that. Like yeah. we already knew that we were going to do that. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I think there's, there's just a draw for, for kids, young men in particular um, to get tested and it's just in there. That stuff yeah. isn't, I don't think it's American. That's not, that's just, that's just over time throughout history. There's been some sort of a crucible that 
people, young men in particular, have had to do at some point between ages, let's say, 10 and 14, something like that. Yeah. And they had to go prove themselves to then become a part of that society, part of that tribe. Does that exist now? And well, it's your, that's the draw because you're still feeling that draw uh, to test yourself somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you're also investing. So if you go, you know, let's take it back, uh, you know, to the earliest of times, you're investing in that tribe. By yes. having these skills, by going out and proving you can now defend the tribe, you can put food on the table, you're a valued member of that because you provide something of value. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of gotten lost, but there's still the draw. And what is that draw? That's Marine Boot Camp. That is Q Course. That is BUDS. You know, whatever that is, people feel that draw because they want to test themselves. And I think whether they know it or not, you're now investing in this society that is giving you, in this case, freedom other times in history not so much but you're still investing in that tribe and in that society uh and you're proving your worth uh and you, you don't have that really today it's a choice but you still feel it or a lot of us feel it i think it's in pretty much everyone but if you don't acknowledge it you can go through your life with so many distractions now that you don't take that pause and realize well i'm feeling this draw okay, I'm part of this society, this community, um, and I'm feeling this draw to invest in it somehow mm -hmm. um, by standing, standing the wall, holding the line, whatever that is. Um, but, but because there's so many different inputs, you don't really get to acknowledge that draw anymore. And I think later yeah. in life, when you hit age 30, age 40, regret. You're like, exactly. Yeah. Now you're like, cause you didn't, you didn't take, you didn't pause and answer that call, whatever it was. Um, that's why people, I don't know if people have a, a hard, that's why people have some of these regrets. I think I, it's a, it's a, a very systemic issue now, especially as we kind of see it over the last decade in real time, post-military experience. And, um, I just got a message from a kid. Um, he got sent to Fort Myer, Virginia because he washed out of, um, he had an injury in RASP. So we had a ranger contract, but he got to reattend RASP and he, he messaged me like two days ago and he's in ranger assessment. And he said, we started with 150 and the, like, I forget what they call it. It calls it like leveling up. It's like to get to the next phase, you have to pass a certain score in your PT test. Yeah. And it's like push up, sit ups, a five mile run in 40 minutes yeah. and five pull ups and the push ups. It's 58 was the number for the push ups, which when I went through uh, infantry basic training for rip, it was, you had to be like 90%. Mm. And so you had to be like already at the top. He said after that PT test, which I think was 70% of the max, they only had 58 people out of 150 that were able to meet that standard. Really? So already 58 people, they cut uh, nearly a hundred people. And now he said, because the retention so low, they're having a lot of problems with retention, which means they're going to potentially lower the standard to allow, allow people to get in because they have three Ranger battalions. They have to keep retention in and more people are getting out than are getting in. I heard this across the board in BUDS, the Q course, um, even special missions units, they can't retain people. One problem, we're not fighting a war, which has always been a garrison war conflict issue. And then the second problem is the culture of the guys that are going in, they show up with an idea. They have it manifested in their life and their experience. Any any actual practical application of what this is going to feel like, they just probably imagined it through video games or technology, through social media. And they get there and they're like, oh, I can't do this. And 
whatever I'm out. Wow. So if they, you know, where we were committed, I think as kids to, we're going to do whatever it takes to get to that position. They go in and go with a temporary social media mindset. Um, I'm not, I'm not getting what I want or this sucks. I'm out. And then they roll out and then they're, they're going to live with a lifetime regrets, man. I, I, I get more direct messages from these kids who are like, you know, I have this regret. I'm like, dude, you have choices. Like a guy will say, you know, I've been thinking, get that out of your head. Mm. If you're thinking you're wasting time, you already made the decision in yourself. If you don't do this, you'll regret it. So get your mind right and actually figure out how to backwards plan to the objective. And, um, I think what you're talking about is something that's catastrophically going to impact us in the, in the next decade. And who knows, it could be a war where, you know, we might get the call. I know if I'm the president of the United States and I realize like all of the institutional knowledge we've lost, I'm recalling all the OGs who have the actual capability <laughs> and space and, cowboys, dude, you never know. You never know. <laughs> So in the retention thing, you're, you see it on the news and you see uh, recruitment goals and all that stuff. But I mean, not shocking, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you have some little politicalization of the military. Uh, people are looking at, uh, oh, wait, look at this withdrawal from Afghanistan. Let's say I'm, a, you know, whatever I am. Uh, and I have a kid who's 16, 17. And I watch this withdrawal. And that kid comes to me and says, hey, dad, I'm thinking about joining the military. What do you think? And I've just watched and I have no touch point with the military. Let's say I'm, I've uh, never even watched a war film, never read a book on tactics, never read a book on strategy, but I guess what I have common sense Yeah. and I can look at this and be like, Oh, wait a sec. Our best and brightest in the military planned this freaking disaster. I could definitely do this better. And they, they're right. Yeah. Cause I have, oh, you don't need, you don't need to have gone to the Naval Academy or to West Point and to have gone to have a graduate degree in warfare or whatever. You could just look at something and apply some common sense to it and have come up with a much more, uh, well, a better plan, a better plan, a yeah. better plan that wouldn't put your guys in a tactically disadvantageous position when you held the high ground, essentially. So what is that dad going to say? Like, oh, great idea, son. Absolutely. You should go off and work for these guys who planned this horrible thing that we watched play out in real time um, that pretty much anyone with common sense could have done better. Yeah. It's you know? sad. So, and you had 20 years to, and not only that, you weren't planning this thing like in a day. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, quick, we have to, it's an in extremist situation. We need to go now. No, you had 20 years to plan for this thing. Yeah. It, 20 it, years. The sad thing is, all of those guys, even at the Joint Chiefs, grew up in the global war on terror in tactical and strategic positions of leadership. So you have people who, who, who at the battalion command, the company command, they saw all the difficulties and issues that were happening in that country at the time. Then they get to the joint chiefs position. They have all the, the abilities, relatively speaking, to make good sound decisions and they completely botch it. And those are going to be the next politicians. I mean, I interviewed um, Michelle Black on the Black Rifle Coffee podcast who lost her husband, Brian Black, in that that ambush in Niger, Africa. That whole thing was so politicized. And the main guy who um, was at the time the SOTIF commander is now running for election in New Hampshire as a politician. Mm -hmm. So he was a general, General Bulldog, and now he's a politician. And I think he's pulling away with a slight lead. New Hampshire's votes aren't coming in. By the time you hear this podcast, he likely would have won. 
And now those guys are the politicians in charge of stuff. And he's a Republican, you know, like, uh, like I'm conservative. And I, I, I think um, that, you know, I'm going to vote for a conservative base, but you see these guys who are like making uh, wrong decisions at every level of the military. Like, where does that leave us in the future? It's scary. National security is not in a good position right now. It's so tough. Um, and it's interesting. You, I don't know if you saw the same thing, but you could see maybe a guy who was awesome as a, a squad commander. So eight dudes. Awesome. But then he becomes a platoon commander and now he has, let's say, 40 guys. Hmm. Wait a sec. Not so good at that. Yeah. Uh, or a guy who's a great platoon commander and all of a sudden comes back as a, a uh, commanding officer of a team. What happened? Yeah. Like, like some guys are just 100%. good at certain levels and they can't do it at the other level. And some guys opposite horrible squad leader, horrible OIC. Oh my gosh, this guy's going to stay in. Oh my God. You know what? They're a good commanding officer. Yeah. For whatever reason. Like it's weird. Yeah. You know, and then there's some guys that are good at all of it, but there are those guys who are not good at certain positions, but they're good at one of those or two of those. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it. I mean, just like anything else in life, you know, there's, yeah. there's not, it's just because someone was a, a, uh, a, you know, really good at running the radio um, as an E5, which I think I was, I was pretty good at the radio. <laughs> um, but it uh, doesn't mean they're going to be good at something else. Yeah. You know? Like they can be good uh, at one thing and not at the other for whatever, for whatever reason. Yeah. I think, you know, the military teaches leadership and it's really the only place, it's the only institution that you could be bred and become a good or great leader, right? There's not many institutions, corporate-wise, you know, name the industry that actually teach this along the way. So if foundationally, it's setting people up for potential success in other positions, including being a politician. So an expectation is your military members are going to be better positioned for political leadership. Uh, what I was talking to Tulsi Gabbard in a podcast recently, she was telling me, you know, look, she she went in the military as a private went to OCS and became, she's a Lieutenant Colonel in reserves. She went to Congress and realized none of these politicians understand basic things. Like how do you plan objectively um, task oriented success and progression based on achieving a goal? There isn't a template for that in life unless you served in the military. And then you get to a position because uh, maybe your style of communication leads you to get better votes or more votes. And then you're the, the person. So then you're like, okay, uh, 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 AOC, for example, you get there because you, you talk the good talk, but what policy are you actually doing at the political level that's improving people's lives? And I think that's systemically the issue that we're running into this country is being a politician is more about running in circles, improving your own fighting position but not improving your constituents position. Mm. So that the act of service component doesn't lead lend itself in today's political environment for success. So I, it's scary to me to think about this stuff because all of the things that are going wrong in our country continue to regress. And all of the things that you expect a politician would work out continue to get worse. And that, that to me, um, as we evolve as a country and get more divided, seemingly, it seems like that um, is scary about the future. It's like, where's the future of a democracy if this is the path that we continue to ride along? And and we accept it well, as, as, as Americans. We're like, yeah, it's just the way it is. I know it's tough to think about because there's power in division and yeah. there are more tools to use at your disposal to weaponize, to continue to exacerbate that 
division yeah. because who does that who does that help well it helps helps uh galvanize a base so it mm-hmm. helps you as a politician uh or helps these social media companies uh gather more data not just somewhere advertisements gather gather more data and then influence not just behaviors but thoughts and then there's connections with lobbyists too with politicians so you're walking into this perfect l ambush as a citizen where the people that are that are essentially have that that high ground in front of you and to your right or your left flanking you um are those people who benefit from this the the division and have the tools to make it even worse. So it's a tough position to be in. And Tulsi was right here. She was sitting in that chair. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So she was, so uh, she was rad. the first guest. You were the guest number two oh, in awesome. person. Awesome. Yes. Um, on, uh, on the danger close podcast, but yeah, she was right there and we got to hang out for a bit and we both had things we had to go run and do. So we were on the, we were on the clock, uh, for that one, but, uh, but she was so nice. She was great. She's great. Um, and, uh, we had a really cool conversation. I haven't listened to that podcast of yours with her yet, but I'm looking forward. Is it out already? It's out on black rebel coffee's podcast. I, I uh, co-hosted it with Evan, mm-hmm. but I want as sh- her political position, and I'm not sure ab- about if you got into the uh, podcast with her, th- there's an agenda for her. Um, not, not in a bad way, but I mean, there's there's a path. There's certain criteria that has to happen for her to go back into politics, but that's the kind of person that I want to see go back into politics because for the right reasons, she left Congress for the right reasons, she kind of left her party, but now she's trying to navigate, hey, the country needs help. They need great leaders to step up. I think she's a great leader. I also think this idea that she, you know, the gun stuff, which I, I didn't realize until I did research on it, her position wasn't my position. But when I asked her after her uh, displacement, disaffecting from the Democratic Party, she now believes in uh her our beliefs align oh yeah and she on her first podcast which is a great podcast she talks about that in depth and now i'm like i'm thinking like i don't want i want the perfect politician who just is the balance somewhere in the middle right you don't i don't want you to be extreme i want you to be logical and reasonable and so i i've said this openly I think uh, DeSantis would be a good president, and I think she would be a good vice president as long as her political – I, I want to grill her on a podcast and get specific answers if she decides to run. Um, now it's not the time and place because she's not running for politics, but if she was, I would want to get her in a room, have a long-form two- to three-hour podcast, and dig in the weeds a little bit. And the cool thing about Tulsi, unlike many politicians, she's willing to have that conversation. Oh yeah, she's fantastic. And her first one really breaks down, um, essentially goes through the Bill of Rights. And she talks about First really Amendment, cool. she talks about Second Amendment, she talks about all her positions, she lays it out in about 30 minutes on the Tulsi Gabbard show. Uh, and then I think it's one of her second or third one where she really just goes only Second Amendment. And we talked a lot about Second Amendment when uh, she was in here. And hey, she just studied it. She just studied the issue. She looked at what she what was happening in Washington. Um, she grew up in a certain culture in Hawaii. She did, yeah. And then now she's like, wait a second, okay. And then dove into the history of the Second Amendment, why it's there, why it's the second one. Um, and she is on board. I, I love mean, it. It's not just a, I mean, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't um what I love about her is she's reasonable, she's articulate, but she's real. And most politicians talk in talking points. And when you begin to scratch the surface, their narrative completely goes mm. haywire. They, they don't, they haven't thought really deep in the weeds on issues. And she's not like that. I mean, she's, she's, I wouldn't say the typical Lieutenant uh, Colonel, um, but she's 
a, a commander. You could tell she has the presence, uh, the wherewithal, and the brain uh, attached to really good experiences in the military that make her a thoughtful leader yeah. in a really good way. And I, 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 I love Tulsi. I think she's yeah. great. Yeah. And uh, gosh, I think it was early 70s. We had the greatest percentage of veterans in Congress. And I think that was the World War II generation, oh, wow. Korea generation yeah. um, that were then at that age where at that time you were a politician. I remember growing up, everyone was very old. Yeah, <laughs> It seemed like it. They were yeah. probably our age, but they seemed old. Um, but I think that was that early. I think that's right. I think what was, was the percentage? The, it was, I, I don't want to get it too wrong, um, but it was pretty high. It was the highest percentage of veterans that we've had in Congress. I think let's say in modern times, because probably... I don't know, early Congress. I mean, you know, who knows? But yeah. um, Well, Eli Crane got in. And this now, so now we're coming coming yeah. back a little bit, but I think the percentage isn't even close to what it was yeah, it can, it can in the, uh, the early 70s. Yeah, that's great. What, what do you think about politics in general when you think about um, kind of our peer group of veterans getting out post-GWAT and potentially serving? Would you like to see guys like, I don't know, like Jocko come out and serve? Uh, he's talked about it. He said, you know, the right the stip, the right environment has to be there for him to run. But would you like to see that? Yeah. I would love to see more veterans in Congress because they've invested yeah. in this. Um, so going back to that, like it's kind of like um, a handout or teaching. It, it's, it's you, a lot of people in Congress or just citizens in general haven't invested in this, in this, in this system. Yeah. Um, they've taken from this system. Um, they've never had a real job uh, and they've risen to the highest levels in government mm -hmm. without ever investing in the system by providing something of value to fellow citizens or by serving, uh, whatever, whatever it is, mm. but they haven't had that responsibility yet. They've only taken uh, from this thing. They haven't invested in it. And those same people that have only taken are the same ones that want to undermine the first amendment, the second amendment, yeah. um, cause they haven't taken the time to think about what was sacrificed so that they could have these options and opportunities so that we could enjoy this freedom we have today. Um, they've only taken, and you know, those people who signed the declaration of independence, guess what? They put it all on the line for us and they invested in this thing. Mm. Um, and people have done that from the inception of this country up through today. Um, and they've sacrificed lives. They've sacrificed limbs. Uh, they come back from wars changed. Uh, but they've the point is that they've invested in this thing. So they've they appreciate it. Uh, so a lot of that appreciation for what was sacrificed is not there, which makes it easier then to just change it. Get rid of this thing. Get rid of that mm -hmm. thing. Because you don't appreciate where it came from. Don't know the history behind why these things are here. They don't realize that that Second Amendment is our ultimate veto over, free, over tyranny. Yeah, for That's sure. That's why it's there. Yeah, I, I, my big thing on the Second Amendment was, uh, as we served in Iraq and Afghanistan, the first tactics that we implemented in restoring sovereignty, seem the the tactic was, hey, let's get out ahead of it. Let's restore security, which restores sovereignty by providing ammunition, by providing guns, by providing uh, tactics and capability, and. That establishes security, which can allow a government to, to thrive. When you look at Ukraine, for example, and then Russia coming into Ukraine, and then the military, the government in Ukraine handing out weapons to the civilian populace, 
the reason why I think we are a superpower over every country in the world, there's no really exceptions to this, is because we're an armed society. And so if we're an armed society, you think about Red Dawn as, as the- I think about Red Dawn a lot. Uh, me too. I dream it. So you think about that scenario, as an armed society, we have a balance of powers. And you have to imagine from a strategic point of view that any battle planners from any foreign nation who calls themselves a superpower, likely because the connection of nuclear uh, capability, they can't direct attack America. Because if they did, the American insurgency would literally hand them their butts. And, and I think when you look at the balance of just the established power of people in that case, it allows this balance of powers that's kind of unspoken that says, I mean, it's spoken and written in the Second Amendment, but it's like, oh yeah, we have an entire armed society that's capable of throwing, overthrowing a tyrannical government. It should be a thing where it's just understood and we should get past that. And I get that, you know, I, I read in a book recently about gun control and it was talking about the first gun control that took place in Dodge City in Kansas. And I believe that's where Dodge City is, the original Dodge City. And what happened was federally, there were no laws in the books that were prohibiting uh, weapons. So when guys were coming into town, they had all their guns and they had open carried pistols because they were crossing planes where there were potential threats to them, whether it was the predators or uh, potential um, tribes, the planes uh, tribes that were potentially attacking them. So they had to have protection. But when they went into town, because the town was um, controlled and regulated and had more security, they said the sheriff would say, hey, you don't need to have it. When you come into a town, you need to check in with me. You need to leave your guns here because we don't want open carried guns around kids. And they weren't controlling weapons. They're just creating ordinances so people weren't shooting themselves accidentally. I mean, there's probably more people shot in the leg by a piece maker cult than they're actually utilized in battle and so that that was the first control mechanism that over time whether it was uh there's a story of the black panthers in uh uh, sacramento california getting told by the then governor ronald reagan to not have open carry guns in your government building so they created laws there which evolved into texas these are the things that get out of hand out of control because we kind of lose the big picture like, yes, we could have ordinances. Yes, we could have reasonable controls in towns um, based on common sense, agendas created by the state. But the idea that the federal government would dictate and control firearms from a, from a, a federal perspective is ludicrous. I, I think it's actually crazy. And constitutionalists get it. Um, patriots of, of this country get it but they need to dig in the weeds of history and understand why that's so important. And I'm glad Tulsi, in, in wrapping up that portion of it, I'm glad Tulsi has revisited it from a constitutionalist perspective, studied it, and then came out the other end making a sound decision versus others who just, um, they walk the party line and they're not willing to think outside the box, which is thinking inside the constitution, right? Which is, yeah. It's not the same People and politicians were very uh, excited about uh, Ukrainian citizens uh, arming themselves, yes. but uh, not so great about uh, us maybe having uh, the right Crazy. to defend uh, ourselves, Crazy. our families, and uh, and keep that government in check. Crazy. Um, yeah, but it's interesting how that's uh, the case. Very concerned with those borders up there uh, and want to give 
guns to those people, but hey, let's take your guns here and open this border down south. Hypocrisy-ish. Crazy. Uh, it's just irrational. It's, yeah. That's why I feel so bad. I mean, I, going back to talking about veterans and politics and all that sort of thing, I can't think of anything worse than being a politician. I, I can, well, I mean, I can think of some worse things maybe in life, but as far as a profession to, uh, to become a politician and let's say growing up up until 20 years ago, 22, 23 years ago, um, at the end of your day, you could go home and you could decide that you were going to turn on a news station and maybe on the six o'clock news, if you were a politician uh, and you were a high enough profile, there'd be 30 seconds on something that you did that day. And then it would go on to something else and you could sit down, have dinner with your family, um, read a book, read a newspaper, uh, have a conversation, whatever. Now you are just out there and every and anyone can shoot arrows at you 24 seven. Yeah. All day long, all week, all month, all year, there's no break from it. It's like these kids on social media in high school at 3.15 in the afternoon. There's not a break from that bullying. They're home and they're still getting it on their phone, um, whether it's directed at them or it's just, you know, through seeing things or whatever. whatever. There's no break mm. from that. And then they're like, oh, man, I got to go back and deal with that person tomorrow. Eight o'clock in the morning, they're in my first period class or my third period class, whatever. Oh, well, there's no break anymore from that person or those people or those inputs 24 seven for these kids, 24 seven for these politicians. It sounds awful. Like just being on social media and I, you know, I try to provide something of value to people through whatever I'm doing on there. That's always my, my basis for, uh, for doing anything, um, is uh, just providing value to someone who's trusted me with their time. Um, that's something I take very seriously, whether it's the books or a social media post or whatever it might be a blog post, doesn't matter. Um, as much thought goes into every single sentence, uh, on a social media post as goes into any sentence in the book, as goes into any sentence on the blog, because these people are trusting me with their time and they're yep. never getting that back ever. Um, so I appreciate that, that, uh, that they're, they've decided to, to follow me or to read my book or to listen to my book or whatever else. So that's why I put so much uh, effort in there, but it's hard enough just being online and having a presence where anybody <laughs> can say anything they want at any time with any agenda. Uh, and there's no break from it. So it's not like I'm an author in 1985 deciding to go to the New York Times and read a review or to, uh, you know, Publishers Week, whatever. No, it's constant and constant. So you have to take a concerted effort to put the phone away, but it's still going on. It's still going while you put that. And especially if you're a politician, I mean, horrible. It sounds, I don't know. It sounds pretty bad. Yeah, it's maddening. You're, you're in constant <sighs> conflict. So, yeah. so if you think objectively God. about accomplishing goals, like, hey, we're going to, the goal is this new policy and we're going to create a new law. We're going to, we're going to do something that's going to benefit people in a constant influx of conflict or, or reacting to somebody's actions in conflict. We get caught up and wrapped up in this thing and it's so negative and it's so toxic like I look so at it, social media, my origin story with social media, I never had social media until 2016. And that's when I decided to leave the agency and I left uh, the military. And it was the appropriate time. And so I went into this kind of unknown environment, had a couple mentors like Tim Kennedy, who had been on social for a while, but again, very new to it. And I was looking at it for um, the right reasons in, in, giving a value proposition 
offering my value, but also receiving value from the networks, relationships, and the information I gained from social media. So I understood like the great in it, like the things that I had to target to get the good at it. But then as that evolved, the algorithms evolved, uh, the behavior changes because the algorithm where they target emotional states and anger and frustration and toxicity. Now everything that's bad, like we had talked offline about, everybody now has a voice. They have a position, they have an account, they have a, a platform, and now everything is concentrated on the argument, the debate, the conflict versus doing good work in the field. So the equivalent would be like me and you are trying to accomplish a goal, but we can't get over each other's conflicting, you know, our experiences and our bias. And so we're constantly bickering while nothing's getting accomplished. And so everybody who's succeeding has to wash that out as, as white noise and kind of move forward and focused. And everybody else is caught up in this loop. Mm. And it's it's scary because I think when you look at the algorithms and how they're controlling behavior, it's intentional. And oh, yeah. it's because behavior is the um, intentional consequence and profits is the benefit, the, bro- the proxy benefit. Before it was kind of unknown. Now it's known and now they're doubling down. And that scares me. That scares me for the future of the country. It scares me for people who are addicted to the dopamine. Uh, I'm reading Dopamine Nation right now, which is a great mm, book. Interesting. And and we we are fed off of dopamine. We're, we're little crackheads running around. Oh, I'm going to have to read that. It's a great book. Interesting. I'll have to read that and then make our little guy, our 12-year-old, or read it. Yeah, because our daughter, she's 17. So she kind of has, she realizes the dangers and the manipulation that, uh, oh, good. and I, I ask myself that all the time. She came to this on her own really. Um, but anytime I see something, uh, whether it's social media or it's a 24 hour news show or whatever else, it's, uh, how am I being manipulated? How is this person want to manipulate me? How do they, how does this politician, how does this pundit, um, how does this company, uh, how are they trying to manipulate me using these tools? that they have. Maybe that's a cynical way to go into it, but I think you have to do that these days. Otherwise you're going to spend your whole life getting manipulated. Yeah. You, you create, it's like the uh, power of now where you're like creating the third party that's in your head. That's just observing passively kind of what's going on. And if you don't have that, some people would call it introspect. If you don't have that perspective, then you're not thinking consciously that this could be a marketing campaign. This is, could be influence. Um, and, and you just become a victim. And uh, what I've seen from the guys who have kind of gone down the rabbit hole in this toxicity on social media is they don't realize, like we, because we've been operating in this space for a while, mm-hmm. we understand kind of what works, what doesn't work, and, and what is going to destroy you emotionally or just mentally exhaust you. Mm-hmm. So we know when to go in, we know what battles to choose. And we also know when to retreat and just be like, this isn't, uh, this isn't worth my time. A lot of new people to social media, um, they get in it and because they have an addictive personality, they don't understand the kind of psychology of it. They haven't got that awareness that your daughter has from a very young age. They're just victims. And then you know, whether it's them looking at their phone and then realizing three hours just passed and like, whoa, what happened oh, to the time? Yeah. Or 10 down, 10 years down the road, they're working at the same job. They don't want to be working in, in the same circumstance, not evolving in life. There is going to be a, a, a detriment to that long-term, especially. It's so tough. It's so tough. And, you know, when we're thinking about earlier, imagine if we had 
you know, personalities for lack of a better term that we could have followed back in 1985, back in 1990, um, where we could follow them on social media, someone who was a SEAL, someone who was uh, SF operator, whatever, let's say Vietnam guys, let's say 1983. I didn't know anyone personally that was a SEAL or anyone that was SF. Um, I would have loved that, but they were something, they were up here. Yeah. Um, so I never got to uh, realize that they are people too. There were this, this amazing group of people that did these things in Vietnam where I've seen some videos. Um, I've seen a paragraph here or there about them, but, and that's what I want to do. But what if we had those guys all on social media and all out of Vietnam and all sharing their post Vietnam journey? And what if you chose to follow the ones that weren't quite so healthy and they're developing you in those formative years, but you didn't know who to follow. You just knew that, Hey, this guy was in Vietnam. He's an SF guy. Uh, and so is this guy and they're the two you follow, but they are the ones maybe who aren't the ones that are the most healthy for you at that time in your life. So you have to really be careful about where you invest this time, uh, and who you follow essentially on social media. So even people that I have, I probably agree with most everything that they say, but I don't really like the way they say it. It's a little toxic. Don't, I do not follow them. Yes. That is waste that. No. Um, I follow people to, to support them, uh, to thank them because they're giving something of value to me in my life. Um, and, uh, but you can easily, especially today, follow people that are not a positive influence on you. That's why I love when we grew up. We just knew that there were these things called SEALs and there were these guys, SF guys, and there there were these teams in Vietnam and they're working with these Montagnard uh, tribes people. And then you had these Vietnam uh, era Marine snipers and they were using these really cool uh, rifles that look kind of like what I see at the sporting goods store here. But look at him, he's on camoed up and he's going out for with his spotter for like four or five days and they're lying in wait for this one gen- like general to walk out in the woods or whatever it is. That was awesome. Uh, and that was positive, I think. Mm. But today, you're not using your imagination there. You're not, I don't know, it's just very, it, it can be very toxic. It can have a negative impact on your life. Um, and you're kind of, especially in those formative years, not really sure who you should follow because there's so many out yeah. there. I don't know, it's just tough. Well, there's it's so many, tough. I mean, like you said, there these minds are so influential and they want to follow, they want to belong. And for the first time, you have access to these personalities that, you know, you, you played on video games. And when I came out, a lot of it was super positive because it was like, oh, this guy's like a this guy's a Green Beret. And I got like, hey, you're a stolen valor because this dude can't be a Green Beret. And people were like, well, he's got pictures. And and it's like, well, who takes those pictures? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, oh, I remember constantly like debating with people because I, I, I'm trying to let them know that I have a background and experience, but be balanced. You, you don't want to be egotistical about it. But I remember one time somebody said, um, this guy can't be special forces because uh, he's got so many pictures of himself. And I thought about that for a second and I went, wait a minute. I was like, I, all the pictures that I have are pictures of me that somebody else took. Right. You're not selfie. There wasn't a selfie. <laughs> it didn't even exist. Paris Hilton hadn't invented it yet. Yeah. It, had, it hadn't been invented yet. And I'm like, they're like, well, why do you got so many pictures of you? I was like, <laughs> Because I had guys on my detachment who carried cameras, mostly for SSE, for sensitive site exploitation, which I did as an SOP. And they took pictures when there was an opportunity. And thank God I had, I, I, I became that guy, I think, at the end of my career because I wanted to capture moments. But most of my picture collection 
wasn't of other guys. It was like the environment. It was like, oh, look at these these Afghan women who are carrying these baskets on their head. This is really interesting. It's culture. It's whatever it is. And and so when I come out and there's pictures of me and they're not selfies, people immediately start making um, assumptions. And assumptions can be problematic, but it was a very positive ex- experience because a lot of people were like, thank you for putting out that thing about mental health or about mindset. And all these things I was saying w- weren't really positioned for me monetizing. They were actually just making me feel good about getting things that were in my head over decades mm. and actually talking out loud. So that value proposition came uh, naturally, but kind of unnaturally. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I had planned for. So evolving through this now, because a lot of businesses, including my own, are positioned on social, then it's fighting for markets. And then the, what I think is when I see people commenting something poorly, it's a tactic. And what I would say to somebody like you gave the advice, I would say if you follow somebody and their tactics are to be toxic, please be careful. Because if you get caught up in that because you're like, yeah, screw those guys, you are getting involved in something that's, that is limited in context. You probably don't have all the answers. And if you are wasting your time by talking crap on social media, that time could be allocated and doing something positive for yourself. So my rules of thumb, I don't follow anybody who's negative. I only do things on social that are positive, that give back, that help people, that benefit others. And I never will comment my my discourse or my discontent for something that I don't agree with. Why? Because in the echo chamber that is social media, it does no good. Exactly. It does no good. So please, please, if you're listening to this, please be aware of that. Yeah, I don't think anybody's ever going to be on their deathbed and say, I wish I'd left one more negative comment on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that going to be the last? I wish I'd only uh, just left one more negative review on Amazon. I know, you know, man. Is that, uh, I don't yeah. think that's, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think that's going to be anybody's last thought on their deathbed. Yeah. Um, so if it's not, then maybe alter your behavior here uh, to have a, a more positive impact on those around you. Please. Uh, yeah. Whatever, however large or small that circle may be, um, you get to choose. You know, you get yeah. to choose on how you're going to go through life and how you're going to influence uh, people. But, you know, it does help to think about those those final days and what you're going to be thinking about. And I don't think it's going to be, oh, I wish I'd left that one more negative comment on that one guy on Instagram because, oh, he's... Like, I'll get him good. <laughs> how about you go uh, take care of your kids? Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Um, but it's an interesting environment. You know, it does provide opportunities as well. And when I got out, I was on social media for over a year, I think, where I just observed. Do you remember and, your first um, post? Oh yeah. 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 What was it? Yeah. Christmas. Uh, Christmas. It was knives and a glass of wine. I think, uh, I have to go scroll to the very bottom, but I think that was it. Um, and, uh, which makes sense. It was Christmas time and I was like, okay, here we go. Let's do this. Um, but, uh, but I watched it for year, year and a half. Yeah. And I just had an, had a, just an account just to look, cause I didn't know social media stuff. I was always like negative there in the military at that time. It was, couldn't, couldn't do, nothing good could come from it back when Facebook came out. Like yeah. nothing good can come from that. MySpace. That's when all the guys started getting in trouble on MySpace. Yeah. So as you travel around to different training. Oh, vendors. it started getting ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw that then Facebook. And then of course they had people come in to show us how you could kind of map out an entire command structure and when guys were coming and going based off all, all that. So you realized how the enemy could use it. Of course, now things have evolved, and now you're strange. Uh, you're the red flag if you don't have some sort of a uh, social media type of a 
background of some sort. When you're in an intelligence service or you're in the military and special operations and you're doing human collection or whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing. Um, now, if you're just all of a sudden just appeared out of nowhere at age 35, uh, um, that's a little bit odd. Yeah, uh, and then now that's that's the red flag type of thing. So anyway, so it is interesting. So I, now I get to deal with those things in the pages of my thrillers, you know, fictionally. I just got I kind of get to work through those some of those problems. But in the military, I had no no touch point with that other than realizing how the enemy could use it against us. So when I got out. I was like, okay, I'm going to be, uh, uh, I'm writing, I'm going to be an author here. Uh, okay, now I'm in a new new battle space. Um, and things have changed from how authors used to operate in 85, 95. Uh, now there's this thing called Instagram. There's this thing, Facebook, or there's this YouTube thing. Um, okay, and I just watched. And I said, okay, I do like this, I don't like that. Okay, I just got to understand it over a year and a half. And then I entered and I weighed it in. So I go down to my very first one, and it's like the first like four months or so aren't even pictures of me. It's just things. It's yeah. just objects. I mean, trying to figure out how to do, you know, that's all it is. And then my first photo of me is like from the side, you can't even tell it's me. It's like a backpack on my back up here in the snow. And then slowly I got more comfortable with it. Now and you're in. Then embraced it and realized, yeah. okay, how do I use this to add value to people's lives? How do I make this essentially my storefront? Um, and, uh, and then look, kind of looked at it from that perspective. Um, but as a tool, you know, yeah. and, um, uh, and then also very fortunate that authenticity rules the day. Um, it does. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And so there, that, that is important. And back in 1985, wasn't as important today. That's important. So that's, uh, so I guess I'm fortunate that, um, I'm writing in a time where that makes a difference to yeah. people. So Which I think separates you from everybody in the space of authoring or writing because you have access. I mean, people actually can see what's going on. You give a little, you know, hints behind the scenes of what's going on. And that, if we had that for Clancy, we had that for Marcinko. Imagine if Marcinko had an Instagram account. Oh my He'd be on goodness. TikTok. Oh, wow. I hadn't <laughs> thought of that before. Yeah, that would be interesting. What would that look like? That uh, he, yeah, he missed it by a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah, it'd be crazy though. Like, like Steven Seagal, imagine... Steven Seagal's Instagram. I think he does, I think have, he does have one, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, Steven Seagal's a weird dude. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I don't know. I grew up with him and I thought he was rad. Yeah, I love Above the Law. Above the Law is a legit was, movie. Oof. That's a good he movie. Flip people and just tumble people. And that, that was style. new. I mean, if whatever people think of, of him, if you go back to Above the Law, that is not a bad movie. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It's a great movie. Ooh, he used to throw. What was his? Aikido. Aikido, yeah. yeah. Aikido, yeah. The running's a little, always been a little, even back then, I was like, hey, this yeah. guy's not like the Mel Gibson run in Lethal Weapon with the MP5 down the middle of the street at yeah. night, you know, when he's going after Gary Busey. That's yeah. a legit run. Yes. You know, full on sprint, you know, getting after it. Yeah. When Steven Seagal runs after he throws some guys through the windows in that one part, you're like, yogging a little. Man, what? Why do you can't just. He's not moving right. Yeah, there's. He's moving scripted. But I, you know what? I didn't let that ruin the film for me. No, it was a great movie. I didn't let that ruin that for me. And then, of course, we have Under Siege a few years later. Under Siege. Awesome. Was he a SEAL in that? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Cook. I remember, yeah, a cook. cook. Wait, wait, he was a cook, but he was a SEAL. He's in trouble. He was in trouble. That's right. He got in trouble. Mm -hmm. And he was in the sub. He uh, oh, was on a ship. Ship in Missouri. Right. That's so crazy. Fired the. Uh, the first shots of the Gulf. We need more battleships. 
Yeah. By the way, battleships. You park a battleship off somebody's coast. Like now the ships, they kind of look like, no. what is that? It's just like, like a gray Joe's box. battleship, USS Enterprise. You put that friggin', but Enterprise wasn't that. Oh, that was a, that new, was the, that was the uh, aircraft carrier. Aircraft carrier. Yeah. That's I never right. had that. A friend had that. That's, yeah. That was legit. But now you park a battleship off someone's coast and you take <sighs> those guns and you just point them in this direction. That's scary. It sends a message. It sends a message. It's not just like, you know, those things are much more capable having the big yeah. gray ships out now that, you know, can launch whatever they're, they're launching. Doesn't look as cool. No. Not as intimidating. You know what I mean? That's so rad. Back you know? In the day. But yeah, I think battleships, I mean, they should just be part of your arsenal. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, people don't realize the power of our military is its presence. And you, you look comparatively to all the other militaries and I see these videos of Russia just getting handed their butts by Ukraine. Um, it's just insane. It's like, yeah, your military equipment defines your capability. Like you could have a lot of good guys, but if you don't have the equipment, that's a good start point. I think that's probably the start point is the equipment. Um, capability is, is based off your equipment. And man, we got a strong military still. Still, but once again, those recruiting, those recruiting goals and uh, the retention, that's tough. Especially soft special operations forces across the American military. They're all going to have to downsize. They will downsize. I already know they're downsizing. There's, there's certain elements that I've heard in, um, from Special Warfare Center. They're downsizing. And what does that look like? What does a garrison military look like post 20 years of fighting? That's scary. Well, it's tough also in that these companies have shown, uh, and anybody in business, uh, public companies, you need, to, you need to show profits. You, just, you, need to, you need to grow. So how do you do that when you're not at war, after you've had 20 years of growth, yeah. essentially? Think about all the companies that stood up from just tactical nylon. Tactical nylon, man. Back in the day, there was like Cordura. one. Two, one, you know? tactical tailor and Paraclete. Oh, Paraclete! I have my Paraclete pants and shirt. I loved those. Um, oh. Did you ever have the armor? I had the, from the Paraclete. Carrier. No, so good. Really, the green should have got one. Od green. So uh, are they still around? So I, I, I winded up selling my carrier for like a grand post military because uh, I just wanted to get rid of stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't want it, and I didn't have a kid, and I was like, I'm not going to have this stuff. So my original Ranger OD, or, or it was it was a Ranger Green Paraclete body armor, which I wore for several rotations, um, which was the first cummerbund that had a le elasticity in it, was great. And I was issued that in the military. I got rid of it. And recently, I think last year, I said, hey, man, it would be great to have this. And I had a listener reach out and email me and said, hey, I have the black version of that. We, we transitioned to something more advanced by you know, um, what's the cry precision or, um, tier tactical. And he said, I have this carrier and some pouches. If you want it, just give me a couple hundred bucks. And I bought one. So I still have it. It's such an amazing piece of kit, but that was only in my first rotation in Afghanistan. Um, I wore a tactical tailor. Um, the one that split the, the chest carrier that tactical split tailor, Washington state. It was great. Great carrier. London Bridge was another London one. London Bridge. Yeah, that, that's London Bridge right up there. That's my, my, my plate carrier up there. Oh, London Bridge is great. The yep. quality of London Bridge is one of my favorites. Yep, they're yeah. awesome. They're awesome. Back in Virginia Beach, you could go in and tell them what you wanted. Ooh, and so cool. They were amazing. They still exist. They, they still exist. They make oh. great stuff. They're making me a new plate carrier. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, but then there was them, 
Paraclete. We had uh, what SOE for a while. It's it's back now. Yep. I think they're in Tennessee now, but they were in uh, Southern California around Pendleton. Yeah, um, coming up in the in the pre. Gwatt years before September 11th, so we could get some stuff there. Uh, Blackhawk Velocity um, Systems was been, been around for yeah. a while, yeah. So yeah, there were all those, but yeah. And then after September 11th, you could, I mean, the tactical nylon companies blew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. They're, now they're all dying. Are they? Yeah, because they just, just the small players. The military doesn't use it, the small players anymore. So if you're big and you blew up, like Cry Precision, I imagine is going to be around forever. Uh, Ops Corps, some of these um, bigger companies, but the small ones, they're dying uh, all over the place. I mean, Jason Beck, who owns Tier Tactical, who is leading the mayor's race in Peoria, wow. Arizona, which is really cool. Um, he'll be around, and he's kind of advanced body armor, and he's got these big French press systems to be able to print in the, in America this Barry-compliant body armor. Mm. So guys who are advancing like that, they'll be around, but the the small guys, like Paraclete's gone. They're gone? Yeah. Oh, man, I wish I still had my stuff. Dude. When we moved, but I had 20 years worth of gear. I didn't throw anything away. I had, you could put a museum up of all yeah. ideas. This is Buds. This is getting to the team pre-9-11. Yeah. This is after the Golden Conics box opened. This is the evolution of that gear. Wow. I had it all. And, uh... I put it, we didn't have room for it when I left the team. When I got out, because I had a, essentially a cage, not as big as this room, but you know, a quarter of the room. And so all my stuff was in that cage or whatever. And uh, I brought it home, and it was just, it didn't have a spot for it. And so I put it in my friend's garage. And then we moved, and he got a divorce. It went with the wife to the new house, and then it's gone. Not all of it, but a lot of it. It's painful for me even to talk about. Oh, my gosh. Painful. Because I was a gear guy my whole life. Tough boxes full of Before, a, 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 I can't even tell you how much gear it was. It was That's sad. It's very I, sad. I feel sad for you. I know. It's, it, I think about it more often than I should. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I, being a gear person, that's why I was keeping it. So that I could be like, oh, what did we wear back in 2008 or 2006 or 2003? Yeah. And instead of me having to like, just think about it or maybe try to find a picture, I could go to the gear and, you and be it. like, oh, awesome. I see. Okay. This was only in tan or whatever we called that, you know, d desert color or whatever. Uh, okay. This is what it was like. Okay. And this is how it evolved the next time we went back and okay. Slim down a little bit or whatever it was, you know, but I had the full on. Ooh. Yeah. I had the GWAT essentially museum. I, I, I wouldn't want, I, I just did this uh, in my garage, just cleaned my garage out, and I found one of my tough boxes that's a war box, uh, actual tough box I was issued for war, and I put all the stuff, kind of consolidated the stuff I wanted to give to my kids when, mm -hmm. I, when, I, when I pass on, and I'm actually going to do a piece of content on my YouTube channel, Mike Glover Actual, and I'm going to go through that war box and just do it cold, like yeah. open it. And just go piece by piece and talk about the significance of why I chose to keep whatever it was. Because there's a lot of it that it's like, it, I, I'm not a, what is it called? Like um, uh, when you hold on to things. Order? Uh, what is it called? The sentimental value. Like oh. I don't have a lot of sentimental value to material things. Oh. Um, but that box are things that I went, there's a story behind this. I'm going to put it in here. But unfortunately, you know, when I pass on, like most people, they get the box and they're like, what's this crap? I want to be able to tell the story behind the thing. Uh -huh. Behind so the crap. Behind the crap so we can connect the dots. And I, yeah. I literally thought, I'm going to do this for my kids, but I'll put it on YouTube and see how it works out because it would be cool. <sighs> That's what I would do if I had that stuff. But now it is. Why don't you have a YouTube channel? Gone. I do have a YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, oh, you do? Yep. Yep. I need to subscribe. What is it? What's it called? Jack Car USA, I think. Are but, you, do, you, do you do content? Uh, mostly it's the podcast. 
Oh, oh, and okay. And yeah, I also yeah. do like EDC stuff or whatever, you know. Yeah, I get some those. new stuff. Oh, I'll, so I'll I follow that, that up. So I follow. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's great. It's a great channel. Why? How come there is Mike Dot Glover and then Mike Glover Actual? So my was the, one, was the one started a backup account. Or yeah. Something? So I started Mike dot a dot Glover, which is my Instagram account. And I have 300 plus thousand, whatever, um, subscribers, but my account constantly because of whatever gets suppressed. And so what that means for people who are just like, listen to this for context, from a business perspective is I will get 90% of my engagement will go away. Mm-hmm. And so I have a contact at Facebook and people are like, well, why are you outing your contact? I'm like, because it's not like a contact that's like in the shadows. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't want it to be that way. It's a representative from Facebook who kind of moderates my account. I don't get favoritism. I don't pay anybody. They don't pay me, but I have the ability to kind of go, Hey, I have a significant or a large account. This is happening. What is the issue? Mm-hmm. And what I've realized uh, because I've, I go through it daily almost, my account is regulated by India. So there's a country team of India. It, it used to be Ireland. It got offloaded to India where if my account gets pinged for something, let's say that, that somebody reports, that, which just happened recently, they reported, I went on a hunt with a of coffee to Deseret. I killed a six by six elk, beautiful elk. And I posted a picture of it. I had people report the picture as animal cruelty, Mm. immediately flagged, immediately suppressed, and that Mm. post deleted. If I didn't have the contact at Facebook to be able to say, hey, this happened, this is problematic, I would have literally no engagement on my account. So they restored the account. They allowed me to um, get that uh, restored, and then everything's good. My thing is like, man, how many people have to go through this and don't have that point of contact? Yeah. So I started Mike Glover Actual as the backup account, and then I don't post anything semi-controversial. So it's about preparedness as a focus. But it's pretty controversial. But again, I get get suppressed. Mm. I mean, my Facebook account was deleted recently because of... of, um, I was posting canning and jarring videos. We actually reposted this the post went viral because they flagged one of my posts for doing a canning and jarring video as extreme and i'm like it's canning and jarring and fermenting vegetables you might not be completely jar. dependent upon the government you need to be suppressed that's what you it need is to be silenced uh-huh it's you insane need to yeah man it's crazy uh my daughter got some um uh North Face slippers that have, um, they're like our puffy jackets, but they're slippers, whatever, but have yeah. a hard tread on the bottom. And she wore them up. She's like, these are so awesome. And I was like, oh, I want some of those. Those look great, you know, for coming out in the morning or whatever, you know, in the snow a little bit, whatever. Guess what I got? Ad popped up the next day. Camouflage ones. Hers aren't camo. Hers are blue. Camouflage like? ones popped right up. And so I sent it to her. I screenshotted it, sent it to her. I'm like, look, they're always listening. Dude, always insane, listening. man. It's scary. Like, I, I made a promise to myself January 1 of I'm going to go to a flip phone. And I'm going to outsource my social. Like, I do long-form podcasts. I do that thing. Most people who come to our courses and training, most people who find com, all of that mostly for me comes through long-form media anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, mostly from this podcast. Yeah. Um. So the social media aspect of like everybody has an opinion, that whole thing, 
I'm going to step back from that and then allow my guys to post. You, 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 I don't know if you noticed this with Thunder Ranch, but Clint, he doesn't have social. Oh, yeah. He, he, <laughs> he is recorded. They report, they, they post the boss and then it's out, right? Smart move, right? That's the way to do it. And I think that's the future of social for me because I am too focused on long form content. Uh, like YouTube, like this, like TV shows. We got History Channel show and a. You do. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't think I ever said this out loud. Um, I just wrapped up filming a show called Mysteries of War. Nice. This would be right up your alley. On you history, need, you need to be a co-host on this. That's amazing. Mystery of War on. Oh man, my, no, whatever. We're wrong with it. Mysteries of War on History Channel, and it's me talking as the expert behind some of these profound mysteries tied to wars. That's awesome. It's amazing. I can't wait to watch it. When does it come out? Um, I believe this spring. Nice. And then I I just, um, me and Jack Osborne are in talks of me taking over, it's going to have a different name, the modern version of Modern Weapons, the old show. Yeah, yeah. With a guy that you might have served with. I didn't serve with him, but I know who he is. Yeah. Uh, What's his name? uh, I forgot right now, but. The bald head guy. Yeah, yeah. Great, great, great guy. I thought he was really good. Yeah. I don't think he was in GWAT or anything. Yeah, yeah he was before, I think. Yeah, and, um, uh, but doing that for Fox Nation. So Nice. That will be the, the focus and the book thing, which you awesome. wrote. Awesome. Thanks for writing that for You're so me. welcome. You're so welcome. Let's talk about that book. You want to talk about something that's kind of crappy? I had somebody read that, and when they read it, the first reaction was, this Ford is so amazing. Really? You're, you're, cause your Ford is like, it sets an unreasonable expectation <laughs> <laughs> for my book because it's like, it's so dang good. Like, I don't want to spoil it, but it's so good in how you translate history and the importance of preparedness, which you talk about in, in your series in Terminalist, which I was profoundly making like excited about making the connections of how, um, resilience and our society and how all that connects and how it deals in preparedness. And when you wrote that for my book called prepared, it just set the right stage for all the things that we're writing. And, and thanks for helping with the oh, process. Of course, as well. it was an honor. It was an honor yeah, for you to awesome, ask me. Man. And uh, no, I sincerely appreciate that. And the book is awesome. And when does it come out? So June 6 is the official launch date, which is D-Day. And we will have the audible version, obviously, and we'll have the written version, but I'm just approving the manuscript and getting everything lined out, but it's going to be published through Penguin Random House. And the book's called Prepared, How to Prepare Citizens for the Worst Case nice. Scenario, which is cool. Awesome. Is it up yet? Can people pre-order it? Because I think this podcast, you're going to be, yeah. you're going to kick off season three. So this is the uh, oh. kickoff of season three. So this will be January, first week in nice. January. Um, that also gives you a little time to make sure that the History Channel is all that. <laughs> Good with you announcing yeah. it. Uh, so January, yeah. uh, first week in January, this will this will drop. Um, but uh, that, that uh, it'll be available everywhere. Book available. Everyone, can you pre-order it now? You or can will you be able to get now. it? Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link and maybe nice, you can nice, pre-order nice. it now. It'll be in the show notes for anybody listening or you can just put Mike Glover, prepared, whatever in Amazon. It probably pops right up there uh, as well. Do the pre-order because yep. that is super uh, helpful for an author. Uh, yeah. I didn't even know pre-order. that was a thing and they're like, yeah, we, we, we put it. She said it's actually available now where there's a press release and a pre-order thing now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, get it up there as soon as possible. And yeah. as soon as they have the cover approved, the cover will go in there, you know, cool. so it'll kind of build out that page on How Amazon. How do I find that? <laughs> <Do> I <just laughs> Probably Google put your it? name in on uh, on Amazon and it should pop right up. Oh, cool. Um, awesome. Yeah, I'm going to check it right after this. I know, uh, me too. I'm, I'm sure. curious. To that. Yeah, so that'll be available. And then, it'll, then it shows up on June 6th. People get it right there on, on that day. Yeah. Are you going to do a book tour and stuff like that? I am going to figure out with you the best way to do this. Cause I, what I love about you is you focus on small business and small bookstores. I grew up in small bookstores, comic bookstores, and I will do anything possible to follow in your footsteps to facilitate and grow and help small businesses. Cause yeah. I obviously own one and, and um, it, it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. And you know, the publishers have a plan, but I'm going to also do my best uh, in Black Rifle coffee shops, nice. Um, get, getting up to Kalispell and and, and Andy Stumps on Black Rifle and uh, Kalispell, getting across the country in different Black Rifle coffee shops, different bookstores, nice. and do the book tour. I'm excited about that. Perfect. Yeah, it's fun, and that's why you know that's what I do like about social media is because uh, before its existence, your only chance to say thank you to someone uh, was at a book signing. So if you're an author, uh, yeah. you know, maybe you had a book tour. If you weren't one of these people who are uh, essentially making all the money for the publishing houses that pay, it's kind of like the uh, Avengers movies in Hollywood. Like the Avengers movies are making all the money for all the other films that uh, don't make their investment back, that don't make uh, their money back. Publishing yeah. is the same way. Like Stephen King, John Grisham, you know, these guys, those names that everyone knows that are household names, uh, they make the money for all the authors and all those other books, that thousands and thousands of other books out there that don't make back that investment. Wow. Um, my, luckily mine did right off the, the bat, but that's definitely an outlier, uh, type of a scenario. Um, so that's what's, that's, what's doing it. Um, so, uh, getting out there and saying thank you to people on book tour was the only way you used to be able to yeah. do it. Or maybe at the end of an interview, if you were one of the, if you were Stephen King in 1987 and you were sitting down on CBS this morning at the end of the interview, you could say, and thank you to everybody sincerely who, who has, has bought the books and watched the movies. And I appreciate it. Like that was it. That, yeah. 10 you know, seconds that, that. Yeah. And you're, and if they kept it in and then yeah. the book tour, when people come by and you get to shake a hand for a second, how many times, um, how many did you do total books? I mean, how many signings or, or showings did you do? Uh, I think the first book was about nine days. Last one was about two weeks. Um, so yeah, it's, and you're uh, hitting it's one a day. Every one a day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sometimes okay. two a day. And yeah. it's, it's pretty, pretty wild, especially this last one. Yeah. Especially this last one. Uh, I assume you're getting hundreds of people. Yeah. yeah. And the bookstores say that it's a kind of a different crowd than they're used to getting. Usually the crowds are uh, heavy uh, female side, like 90% female, 10% yeah. male. Nicholas is Sparks. what they said, like that sort of a thing. <laughs> and they said, mine's the opposite. And that guys are coming in, tatted up, you know, sleeves, you know, they got the hats, they got the gators glasses on, you know, they're bringing in knives to sign or to gift. They're bringing in bottles of whiskey. They're bringing like nice. all this, you know, stuff. And they're saying it's a really different crowd. I love uh, that, man. Than, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Your terminal list is so awesome too man thank you i want to tell you i didn't tell you that in, in person yet it's such a great series Appreciate it. and what I, I i actually just recently revisited it um with family because they're like they're like oh what is this thing and and um i'm like you haven't watched it yet I'm like let me watch it with you and and i i narrate because they're like i don't what is that thing what is this what, what's that equipment what's that and um, um it's it's a cool thing because it, i don't know how to say this the right way it gave me a little flashbacks let's just put it that way because yeah. i literally in some of the instances because it's so accurate in the depiction of when he comes back post-deployment and some of the things that he goes through 
I'm like, I was dreaming about being in my situation again, reliving it through the memory and the visual, the imagery, the great imagery of that show going, oh my God, like this is, like I was trying to solve terminalist problems in my head, in my sleep. And I'm like, that's when you know it's good because it's it's so connected. And that's, I think that's what separates it obviously from everybody else is the realism in it. I appreciate that. Yeah. One of those one of those scenes that that almost got cut um, that I that I fought for was in the kitchen uh, when he's back, like the next morning after he comes back, wife in the kitchen, daughter in the kitchen, yeah. and he picks up that uh, the um, like cinnamon roll thing and it's hot, you know, but his mind's obviously elsewhere, yes. and he's like, "That's great, you know, we're gonna do some surfing or whatever, some paddleboarding," mm-hmm. but obviously. He's not there. He's not. That was me. He's elsewhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so the, I loved when we put that in the script, and then it was almost going to get cut for another for another scene. And I was like, no, this shows oh. this shows what it's like to come back when you're not fully back yet. If you haven't flipped the switch, and you're like, oh, I'm not in Iraq. I'm not in Afghanistan. I'm home with my family. I better. Yeah. I better be with my family now. And some guys can't do that ever. Ever. And yeah. some guys it takes a day and some guys just flip the switch. And I was always really good at it, except for 2006 coming back because it was just such a incre- just an amazing deployment. And I was working for the agency at the time and yeah. going out every night. It was that was a heavy awesome. trip. I mean, it was busy. It was awesome. It was busy. And so I came back and, you know, my wife was like, hey, snap out of it. And so, yeah, because I'll snap out of it. Yeah. So it was, but that was the only time I really had a hard, it wasn't even a hard time. Um, but I wanted to show that. Yeah. Uh, and Chris does such a good job in that scene because he's obviously not there. And you, you can see the honey. There's little things like there's honey in the coffee, like that sort of thing. But then he picks up that that uh, that uh, cinnamon roll during this boy that's super hot out of the oven and drops it. And they're like, so and they have this little reset moment. And then the phone rings and then bam, he's off. To, but uh, did you write that? No, no. We had every ever that was David DeGilio because that's that's first episode. So David yeah. DeGilio is the showrunner and did the pilot episode, and then he kind of runs the writers' room. And the showrunner is the guy in a in series television that's like a director on a set. So each episode has its own director, but it also has a showrunner that's coordinating multiple directors, multiple scripts, everything going on, like the singular point of contact. And this guy, David DeGilio, who's on the Terminalist podcast, me, him, and Jared Shaw oh, wow. do that all together. We cut down, we break down every episode. Um, and it was such fun, but he was so good at it. Such a great leader. Um, and, uh, and he wrote that, uh, wrote that episode. And, uh, but then you film a bunch of stuff that doesn't make it in. Yeah. So the, the first episode i think it was about two hours we had to cut it down to an hour oh yeah yeah and one of the scenes uh there was an option you had two hours of content that you had to cut yeah and i was like oh no an hour we had to get the two hours down to an hour so the director's cut is two hours it's a movie and is that going to come out i don't think they do it like that oh no and when i saw it for the first time i was like we can't cut one single second uh so the director's cut is antoine's cut so he's like the first editor antoine fuqua the director of the first episode who's amazing personally and professionally incredible guy yeah um and so he had this two hour director's cut and then you know it's normal that it gets cut down but uh we need to get down to an hour so that two hours became an hour but the director's cut when i first saw it, i was like i can't cut one single second like antoine is a genius this is amazing i could not be more thrilled and we had to take an hour out of it wow. uh, yeah so there's another hour out there somewhere that's crazy but, uh, but that scene almost didn't make it the one you, you referenced in the morning showing coming back what it's like to, to those details are and, what make it man oh, thank you. are you uh, are you allowed to say if it's are we doing this are you getting another is the second book going to be 
We'll see. We'll see. By the time this drops, hopefully we'll have some news, but um, I don't know. So there's, uh, it's still up, up in the air. Right yeah. Now. Everybody wants it to happen, but they have to coordinate oh, a lot of different things. Like Amazon, like Amazon wants it. Chris, well, everybody wants to do it. Yeah. We just need to figure out the way to make yeah. it happen. So we'll see. You need to start filming that thing now. Cause I need to get that. I need, I need to get that for next year. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell, uh, uh, I'll give you some more details, uh, offline, but, uh, by the time this drops, hopefully there'll be some, some news, but you know what? Like if it doesn't happen, I'm still thrilled. We got one season. Like, you know, I keep, I was telling David DeGilio, the, the showrunner the other day, I was like, cause we were talking about platoon and I was like, remember platoon Remember when, uh, it's like anything after this is just gravy. That's right. And I'm like, that's how I feel, which is why I'm yeah. horrible negotiator. That's why you know, <laughs> you everything cards. sounds great. You know, you <laughs> everything cards. sounds wonderful. Um, but I remember that from, from platoon and uh, we were talking about that the other day. So that's why it's important to have agents and entertainment attorneys and all the rest of it doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, cause for me, everything sounds wonderful. So I'm just thrilled that there was one season that I got the exact actor to play the main character who I wanted. I got the exact director with Antoine. And, uh, then I got this incredible friendship with the showrunner, David DeGilio, who's a amazing so i couldn't have put to chosen a better team and i didn't even know what a showrunner was um so before rare. our first conversation That's so, so awesome. uh yeah we had a great great team and yeah hopefully there'll be more but you know we'll see when's we'll the next see. book come out are you allowed to say that next one is uh spring we don't have the exact date yet by the time this drops we should have an exact date um but it should be spring of 2023 and you the the name of the book is only the dead only the dead. Mm-hmm. That's a good name. Yeah, thank you. Thank Where'd you, you get that name? The Maud asked that? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a quote that is misattributed to Plato. Um, and it's only the dead have seen the end of war. Uh, and it's really, oh. I'm going I'm to butcher the last name because I've never had to say it out loud before. Uh, but George Sayanada, or anyway. Is the actual The guy. actual person who said it. But somewhere along the line, it got misattributed to Plato to include in the beginning of Black Hawk Down. That's what comes on yes. the screen. Yes, only the dead have seen the end of war. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so I put that in the, in the book, you open it up and it says, uh, commonly misattributed to Plato, but by the person's name who really said, really wrote it. So what year did he actually say? I think it was the early 1900s. Oh, okay. I want to so, say like, yeah. but I'm not positive. I, I did. What a great I quote. do know, but I just can't recall right now because I put that in the book, uh, not quite nine months ago. Yeah. So, so are you uh, getting quoted yet? Uh, yeah. What's yeah. the, what's the biggest one right now? Uh, it is probably, uh, never miss an opportunity to make somebody's day. That's one that I've seen. That's a really nice one. Thank you. I Thank thought it was going to be like kill them all or something like that. <laughs> it's been taken. That was taken. Um, uh, there's a few out there that, that people have put on like memes and stuff or, or yeah. whatever else. And sometimes they take it from the books and it's uh, a character saying it. And sometimes it's something that uh, that I've said or whatever else. But they're both of those things. You got are, some good ones, are man. Out there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hate to say this to you because um, I don't want to uh, like down the actual book in itself my favorite parts of your book are the beginning when you do the authors what is it called i do a preface yeah and then i do an author's note now at the end okay it's the preface, preface yeah your prefaces thank you are just like in they motivate the appreciate and, that. and and ray porter dude he's awesome if ray could do my book my audio book <laughs> he's great he's yeah. so dang good and he's man. such a nice guy Really? Such a good guy. And I got so lucky choosing him because I didn't, I'm not an audio book person. I need a physical book. I just like that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that putting that effort to read it. Um, but I did not realize that, uh, well, audio is the fastest growing segment in publishing. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a natural thing for people that are younger 
So that's their way, their kind of their gateway drug to books is through audiobooks. Yeah. I think. Um, but I didn't know that these narrators had followings and people follow narrators from project Whoa. to project. Really? Not just authors, but narrators. Like, what's Ray Porter going uh, to Whatever he says, yeah. I'll, I'll What's his next to book? It. Exactly. So I had no idea. I just liked his voice. Oh. And I asked Simon and Schuster, hey, can we have this person? Did you pick him? Yeah. Dude, he's, I can't even imagine because his voice is in my head because I have so yeah. many hours of listening oh, to your man, books. Oh, man, awesome. Um, I can't even imagine anybody else doing it. And, and the best thing about it, I mean, I, there's so many books that I love. And then I download and I listen. And the first 10 seconds, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't listen to this dude's voice for 11 hours. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll literally just say, I'm going to read it myself. Uh-huh. But I look forward to the audible version, even though I got the hard copies. People signed. love the cool. audio book. Yeah. It's the, yeah, the audio version is so amazing. People love the audio book. And Ray, I got so lucky because they, Simon and Schuster, hey, two months before the book came out uh, in 2018, they said, what do you think of this person for the narrator? And I was like, oh. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, why didn't they use you? Wrong person. Uh, was that an option? I, I didn't ask for it to be an option. And I read the foreword to the new uh, Chris Pratt edition of the Terminal List where I have a foreword right. that talks about He's how on the, the cover. Book, He's on the cover. Yeah, yeah. And they talk one. about how the book came to be, how the series came to be, all the veterans involved um, and what they did in the, uh, in the making of the series and all that sort of thing. Um, and I read that part. And I wrote it and I read it. And it was hard <laughs> to read. And it was, it's not like me reading, you know, different, uh, when I say I wrote it, uh, it's not me. I don't have to do any, any, um, accents. I don't have to do any, like, okay, yeah. this is a South African. This is a uh, Rhodesian you. accent. This is Russian. This is, it's just me reading my words as me, not like, and the Russian character, oh geez, now I have to give a, a Russian accent for this character or a Russian female character yeah. or whatever it might be. Your words. It's just me with this voice, no acting involved. And it was so difficult just really? to do that. And so I made it through that, just reading that forward and I finished it and I texted Ray. I was like, oh, I had respect for what you did before, <laughs> but now I really have respect yeah. for what you're doing here. You have to m- memorize all these different accents, all the different ways to talk. Like Dude, it's, it's amazing. It's, a, it's an art form in itself, right? It 100% is. And I got so lucky with him because Simon and Schuster sent me this guy who I was like, not the right person. And I don't remember the person's name, but it was too old. And I said, well, can I choose somebody else? And they said, yeah, just let us know by the end of the day. And here it was like noon, you know, I'm like, wait a sec. They're and in publishing. They're very, uh, they take their weekends very seriously, their uh, holidays very oh, seriously, yeah. end of the day very seriously. So I had a couple hours. So I just jumped on Audible and I started listening to those um, uh, samples, those like 30 second minute yeah, samples, yeah. whatever they are. Of your favorite books. And uh, Well, I just started, God, what did I look, listen to first? I don't know how I went about that actually, but I started listening to just different books. I was like narrators you know, military, whatever. Wow. And I started listening and I found him through a nonfiction book that I can't remember the name of right now. And I was like, Oh, okay. I like this voice. And then I went to the fiction stuff that he's done. And I started listening to those samples and I was like, okay, this is the guy. No idea that he was at the pinnacle of narration. Like he's the guy that you would want. Oh and gosh. so I asked Simon and Schuster, I'm like, okay, how about Ray Porter? And they're like, uh, yeah, we can ask him, I guess. Cause at this point I haven't sold a book. I have no one, no following on social media. I'm not obviously coming from politics or sports where you have a following. Yeah. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, we can ask him. And I was like, okay, great. And, uh, they did. And he said, yes. What? Yeah. And so that rape, and then Never we did he fans. know how big that was going to be. Amazing. I mean, such a great guy. So, so guy. I'm, you said something that just pinged in my head. Cause when I wrote my book, the proof 
for me was part of the editing process for me was reading the book into a microphone and understanding how it reads interesting um out loud or how it sounds as well right the sound sound is important and so if it didn't sound right then i would change the edit so you proofed it based on how you read it read it Oh my gosh. So when sometimes when I have to say a character's name, like a Russian character in particular, I've never said the name out loud. Like I never said the title of the terminal list until I had to say it after, you know, a year and a half of working on it. Wow. And only then did I realize there's two L's next to each other, the terminal list, L and L. And so if you say it too quickly, they kind of blends. Mm, It looks great, you know, but in my head, that's all I'd done is read it. And then when you say it, it's a little different. And the first time I said it, I was like, oh, that was a little harder than I thought just to say the title. Yeah. Um, so now I think about the audiobook because I think about Ray, we're friends, and I realize that, hey, if I'm a paragraph into this dialogue and all of a sudden now I say that this person has uh, a certain accent or whatever or is from a certain place, now Ray has to go back and start oh. over. So now I, I think about the that. The structure is exactly. a little different. So now I think about that as I write, especially dialogue. I, oh, I thought for sure that you did it you wrote it based on how it sounded because it sounds so good mm-hmm. because there's a difference. Like I've read a lot of books that read horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you read it, but when you say it out loud, mm-hmm. it sounds good aesthetically, which is, it, which is a weird, I guess that's yeah. a, that's the, that's the, the, the weird thing behind audible now being its position yeah. because a lot of authors are, are especially the ones that speak well are marketing internally to the book saying, you know, author's note Mm. and their author's note speaking directly to their uh, engaged market Mm. versus like an author note being like, I don't know, they're just trying to make a point or whatever it is. It's very different in its position. And I thought for sure that you would proof it by saying it out loud. No, I know people that do that. And I know people that read their book backwards. Um, So they start with the last chapter and they read it the other way, because when you're reading it in a way that you've read it a thousand times, times, um, then you're putting things in place that you think should be there because you are assuming that they're there, like an and that should be an and or whatever else. Like you're just putting the right thing in there because it makes sense logically. But if you do it backwards, it kind of throws that off a little bit and you catch more in your editing process. And I haven't done that yet, yeah. but at some point I might give it might give it a try. Um, and now every now and again on this book in particular, I'll read a paragraph out loud just to see what it sounds like. But it's not something that I do uh, as part of the process. It's all just writing. Just I, did, I did it. Um, in, in editing the manuscript, I did it word by word into an audio Dang. app. I mean, I use an audible or audio, um, uh, oh, note taking app. Yeah, no, I can't do that. But I said it because yeah. uh, I knew I was going to read my own book and you know, my book's only a couple hundred pages compared to yours, but newfound respect too, by the way, because after a pro a year process of getting the deal and then a year process of working through the book, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've done that are physically hard, Mm. the mental and like physically engaged, like having to be conscious and cognitive and and focused Mm. is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, man. So big, big, uh, respect for that, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. You're exhausted at the end of the day, writing or whatever else. Like you're at the end of the day, you're, it's the next level exhausted. Um, You can't go on social media and get all the dopamine hits (laughs) and then expect to be focused on a book. It's just not going to happen. But I love it. You know, I've been wanting to do this my whole life. So I grew up, luckily I grew up 
with a mom who's a librarian and reading books of the masters who are giving me that education in the art of storytelling, even though I didn't conceptualize it that way at an early age, but that's what was happening. So I got to read Red October when it came out. I got to read Patriot Games when it came out. I got to read uh, Red Storm Rising when it came out. I got to, I I read, I found First Blood after I found uh, Brotherhood of the Rose by David Morrell. Um, But I'm reading all those through the eyes of a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, high school freshman, you know, high school sophomore. But I'm reading these things for enjoyment and I'm learning at the same time because there's no social media or internet. So if David Morrell, who created the character Rambo, is talking about something and mentions seals in Brotherhood of the Rose, well, I'm learning at the same time. Crazy, um, so, I, so luckily I had this foundation that was built from a very early age, but it all comes from, from books. I mean, so it, crazy. It, all, it all comes from that. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, going back to the preface, I hear that a lot from people. People make comments quite frequently um, on, online about how much the preface, particularly veterans, um, what the preface meant and say, hey, I would buy your book just for the preface. And that, I, I do yeah. hear that quite a bit. Um, so I did a preface for every book and that comes before the prologue. So it kind of sets the tone. That was mm-hmm. my intent was to just set the tone, um, like my message to the readers before they start reading without giving anything away. Um, and then at the th- fourth book, uh, the devil's hand, uh, then I started doing an author's note at the end, different from the preface. So I set the tone with the preface and then so many people were asking me for the first three books, what was real and what wasn't. Then now that's what I do with the author's note. Um, wait, did you do it in devil's hand? The devil's hand. Yeah. That's author's right. Note that's the, the first end. time. That's the first time. Yeah. Yes. I saw that. And yeah. I say like, Hey, this is what was real. This wasn't, uh, as you, as you read, because that people would have questions. Yeah. Um, and so now I can say, Hey, this is what, this was real. I took some, some license, artistic license here, or I'd be surprised if this was different than it is in real life based on my research or whatever, just kind of giving them kind of a little wrap up at the end with that author's note. And, uh, and I really like doing that. It's kind of a good bookend to the story. Start with that preface, set the tone, finish with the author's note where you get you to have say, an acknowledgements too, right? I do acknowledgements. Is yeah. that at the very end? That's at the very end. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. acknowledgements. Just, that's my way of saying thank you. Uh, and then I have the glossary because growing up, I loved the glossary. So I wanted to bring that Acronyms back. Yeah. I wanted to bring that back. And if people spend some time in there, there's a couple there, uh, there's some that are just definitions and then there's some that are, uh, just more fun. In there yeah, well. I think Penguin did a glossary. I did an author's note. Actually, no, I don't think I have an author's note. I think I have, um, no, I do have an author's note. And then I have the acknowledgements. And then I had the glossary on a, obviously a very smaller scale. But um, you know what I found difficult is the acknowledgements. Because we don't want to forget anyone. I don't want to forget anybody. That's the hardest part. It could be a book in itself. And you don't even mean to forget them, but you're so much is going on. Yeah. And it's totally unintentional. But like, I feel so bad if I forget somebody and yeah. it's just, it is, it's a thing. My, my writer hates me because I, I think probably 10 days in a row, I'm like, oh, can you add this? Can you add mm. this? Can you add this? Because it's like, I just, you know, I'm like getting busy doing something and I'm like, oh, I forgot to add them. And they were very impactful in my life. And yeah. It's like, I don't want to leave anybody out. And I don't want to run across anybody and go, hey, you didn't. And I'm like, no, no. You know, that's why I noticed that some authors have a very slim acknowledgements section um, because probably they don't want to forget anybody. They're just like, hey, thank you to my publisher, my editor, my wife, and the one guy that told me what a gun, you know, can do. Yeah. That's it. Boom. Done. Uh, And I understand that now. Do you have the four in the beginning for like the book Mm -hmm. is for? Yep. Who's who did you put? I did the first one uh, to those who didn't make it home. 
Yeah. Um, this last one I did to a, uh, a seal who was very impactful on me yeah. and then went to work for the agency, Mike Goodbow. This last one, the new one you just wrote? Uh, in the blood. Oh, yeah. really? So I dedicate that to him. He took me under his wing. He was uh, an amazing guy, incredible SEAL, became a warrant officer, uh, took me under my, under his wing as a new officer. Uh, I was enlisted first and then became an officer. And he was our neighbor in Virginia Beach. Wow. And uh, his wife and my wife were friends and just an incredible guy. Um, got out and went to work for the agency and um, unfortunately was killed. Oh, that sucks, man. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so that happened, uh, as I was working on this book and so I dedicate it to him and to everybody who I think I write, uh, who, whose, um, uh, lives are memorialized with stars. So for the, oh, for the wow. agency, that's so memorial cool. wall. Yeah. So, so something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I do that at the beginning, uh, then the preface, then the gets in the book starts with the prologue and then boom through the book epilogue, uh, author's note. Uh, glossary uh, acknowledgements. And the worst part of it next is ending, man. Those, it, it's depressing to end those books because oh. you want more. Ah, nice. That's the goal. You want more. That's the goal. I always want someone to turn the page, get to the end of a chapter, and wants to turn and they go to the next chapter and, and get to the no. end of the book. And then the art of it is to give enough resolution where people have invested this time, but also leave just a little bit where they want to get to the next book. Yes, you know what I mean. That, I'm but, in that. I'm in that conundrum to finish it. I, I just I'm in it right now. Just like when is this next thing dropping? Oh, for mine? For, yeah. Oh, thank you. It's thank just, you. It's horrible. It's a horrible place to be. Ah, well, <laughs> coming soon. Coming, coming, coming in the spring. Uh, but yeah, actually, I finished the last one here uh, at the day of your Christmas party for uh, for That's Fieldcraft right. Survival. That's right. So I packed up here, and I was like, it was a snowstorm, and I finished it. What a great it, night, though. That was cool. And I drove. Night. It was yeah. so fun. I got this hat right here. Oh, the Look KJ Murphy. Yeah, the KJ yeah. Murphy hat. So I wanted to talk to you about the KJ Murphy. So they were there. And uh, so that hat right there, you got me and has the camouflage band on it. You put the cross tomahawks on there, yep. measured me at that party. That was awesome. Custom. It was so much fun. Custom cat right there. Um, but uh, yeah, we went to that party and got to hang out for a little bit and then drove home in that snowstorm and the road wasn't plowed. It was like three feet of powder and I'm just coasting through that, that powder. It was awesome. Came back here and, uh, but that was the day that I finished the last, uh, last book. So it's amazing. Yeah. This next one will probably be finished around the same, same time. So I got another, another month, month and a half, maybe, maybe two months. So you're right on time. You're right on time. Yeah. I'm running time for me. Yes. I'd like to get a little bit ahead of it. Uh, going forward, which is why it was important to put some processes in place this year, uh, add some team members like a assistant and that sort of a thing to kind of handle some of the things that I don't need to so I can concentrate just on the writing. Yeah, I got like, um, I'm wearing your hat right now. And what's fun, what's fun about, uh, it's weird because uh, I didn't see it for a period of time. And then I started traveling a lot and then I started seeing your stuff nice. out and about. And I'm like, this is really funny is when I came back, uh, I flew back yesterday from Arizona and the American contingency, uh, the group that it's a community based group that we do all over the country. We had an expo and I was, wa I, I typically fly business class because I'm flying with guns. So my thing is like, if I'm checking bags and it's going to be difficult to get on and off the plane, like I'll fly business class, but I'm not, I, I'm not, you know, I could fly economy in the back and I typically like going in the very back seat in the window. So I've access, I got a small bladder, so I have access to the, uh, um, bathroom and I don't mind waiting um, for everybody to load and being the last one on. And I don't mind waiting for everybody to get off and being the last one off. And so I was flying from Arizona, from Phoenix to Salt Lake city back home. And I got on the plane. And the first thing I did is I saw your hat nice. and it was a guy in business class. 
And as I started walking through the corridor, he looks up at me and I'm wearing a Phil Craft hat and just normal vest, plaid jeans, origin jeans. Nice, just nice. The normal stuff, right? Um, and he looks up and he goes, Mike Glover, I love your stuff, man. I was like, oh, nice hat. And he gave me a pound. Nice. So there's hundreds of people in this plane. I give like five pounds to people awesome. as I'm walking down the aisle. And a dude goes, oh, it's Mike Glover. And then I'm like, hey, what's up, man? And he goes, oh, I, I love your stuff, man. I'm like, it's so cool, man. And it's my favorite thing about this whole experience is that positive affirmation from real people in real yeah. time. You get the knuckles, you get the pound, you get the high fives, and you see the gear. And that's when you know, whether it's Phil Craft, it's your swag, it's Andy Stump's cleared hot stuff, black rifle stuff, you're making an impact in people's lives in some way, and they tangibly want to represent yeah. it. So I, I think it's cool, man. Like the, the idea of putting your logo on stuff like leather and a hat, I'm all in. I, like you're wearing a Phil Craft shirt. Yeah. I only want to wear clothing that represent me. Like Pendleton, it's a household name. I'm wearing the shirt. Phil Craft Survival, my vest. Origin, made in the USA jeans. Yeah. Um, probably down to the socks, which I'm looking at. Rep I actually, I'm, I'm wearing them. I don't know the name. What are you them. wearing? You don't know? Uh, I, was gonna, yeah, I, got, got? I got point six socks on there. Um, I need to get some new stuff from them. What's, what's the story point, on point six? Uh, John Barklow up in Alaska. Done. Um, back in... Oh, gosh, 2000, let's say 12, 13, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, that's what he recommended. So that's I it. Like, Roger if that. Barclow I'm in, represents bam. it. You exactly. Listen. <laughs> I don't know if it's changed. I don't know if it's sold at some point. Oh, like I have no yeah. touch point with them um, other than just using their stuff for all these years. But uh, the problem is I need to order, I order like everything and then figure out which ones are going to going to work like which with set with with what goes with ski boots what goes with like you know higher boots for the motorcycle what goes with the lower boots for my my solomons or what, yeah. whatever else so i have different socks for different things and i can never find anything because they're socks just like everybody else like one disappears right yeah it's a weird yeah thing. yeah I don't know. but it, it's a thing but it's, it's intentional all yeah, your decisions all are all Everything. intentional from watch to to this cool. to your shirt to yeah. the belt to the, the knife here to the pistol to these jeans these ones are um off the grid off the grid jeans so they got the stretchy oh, yeah. stuff uh, so they do a lot of stuff yeah for overland overland, mm -hmm. overland expo I, I met those oh guys. nice nice yeah yeah so these, i love these jeans they're they're what awesome. belt are you wearing right now uh the dynamis Oh, Animus belt, sort yep. of like that. It's the uh, same one I've been wearing since 2016 when Dom gave it to me. Really? Yeah. I, I got a next belt and it's the ratchet belt, but it's a Phil Craft next belt. Yeah. It's oh, not yeah. even out yet, but oh, okay. the guys are like, um, cause you have a belt that's out. It's kind of similar, right? It's out, but I don't like it. Mm. I don't like it. I don't like that. It's plastic. I mean, I like, I like plastic cause this one's plastic, but this one's sheathed. Okay. So, it, and it has a ratchet system. The other one uses tension mm. and tension on a big boy like me doesn't work. Okay. Ratcheting, it's guaranteed. And I, like my waist is 32 inches, but I fluctuate. Dang, it, it's weird. Like my waist is 32 inches and I fluctuate. So I'll wake up and sometimes it's 32. Sometimes the pants are tight. And then by the end of the day, it's slim. So I, I like fluctuate weight off my hips okay. a lot. So I need to be able to ratchet it down and extend it. And for EDC, the ability to like push a button and open it and then stick in a different pistol mm -hmm. versus just having that leather notch on a belt, which mm -hmm. I love leather, but it's just, there's nothing comparable than a ratchet because you can make incremental tension changes yeah. across and now I'm sold. So um, like the sock thing, I was doing my podcast in my studio and I'm Korean, so we don't wear shoes in the house. Mm -hmm. My guests, they can, but people are like, Mike, I was tired of seeing your hobbit feet because my feet, I don't have shoes on in the podcast. And like, hey, um, 
uh, you should wear socks, whatever. <laughs> so I told uh, my personal assistant, uh, Krista, I'm like, hey, can you find an American name brand? Um, we don't have to cross promote them. It's just I want to make sure they're made in America. Get something with elk, with with uh, deer, bison, whatever. And I bought them. But if you're if you're a company that has a sock company and you do wilderness outdoors kind of stuff and you're you're made in America where you outsource and you have a story, uh, hit me up and I'll wear your socks because I I want to represent those kind of things. Yeah, I think about socks way too much because I'm because <laughs> I'm looking for them. I can never find anything in there. I'm like throwing Dude, things, you know. Constant. It's just it's just crazy. So I need to you do should a make full your Jack Carr socks. Maybe, but their socks are tough. I think Th- they're tough. I think they're tough. I think Sika tried it. I don't think they ever. They uh, ever put them out there, but they the have margins some are they, wonky. Are they? Yeah, yeah I don't know. It just seems like an odd thing because everyone's feet are different, your shoes are different, it's your tough. you know all that stuff. So there's a lot of a lot of variables going on there. But uh, but yeah, if you have if you get this sock company, let me know and I will buy a bunch of their stuff and yes. then, uh, and try them out because I'm uh, I'm looking for some more some more socks. You, when, I imagine when you get something like me. And it's the right thing. You just buy a whole buy bunch. Buy a bunch. Of, same you have thing. to. I'm like a Smurf, man. Yeah. Like Origin pants, they work. Nice. I hit them up and I'm like, hey, man, I need to buy these kind of sizes. And I'm done. I'm set. Nice. So everybody's like, well, you wear Origin a lot. I'm like, yeah, because they're made in the USA and the great jeans. And the new boots that they have, I have some in there. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. They're going to, I think, they're going to uh, have that, uh, that little extra leather on them for motorcycle. So I'm going to, I think that they're just, they're great. They just came last week though. So I've only worn them around here and I'm kind of like snowed yeah. obviously. So I was kind of like, ah, I don't want to, I don't know. I probably should just wear them. I have those. Well, the, the KJ Murphy's the guy who made your hat. Yeah. I met that guy in my training when he really? trained with us. Yeah. Him I'm and his pull son. This thing out. Yeah. Um, oh, what, what color? Matter, Let me see what color you went with. This is what you got me. Yeah. Oh, bam. Nice. Look at that right there. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. KJ Murphy's right there. Um, has your name made for Jack Carr right yeah. there. Um, so that is B. I believe that one's beaver. This is pure, pure beaver. So that's all beaver, which is, um, look at that. Very specialized. And you know, I would get, you could swap that band out so you can go a slicker. You could do, I do horse hair in the summer. Nice. Um, I'll do something else during the wintertime, but that's about intention. It's like, look it's made handmade in the USA by KJ Murphy. And look at that. Look what else you did. I don't know if you know, you did that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he did that right for there. for for me for Phil Craft. So awesome. And uh, my one year gift to employees is uh, that cowboy hat. Thing is awesome. Yeah, yes. it turned out good, man. That is awesome. Yes, that was cool getting to meet them. Great people, you know. Uh, that great people. And speaking of great people, look at this Montana Knife Company. This is a Field Craft blade. Those right are here. rare. So this thing. I don't even cool. have one. You don't have one of these. I've had two, and somebody has stolen them from me from the stolen company. Stolen or <laughs> acquired, borrowed. acquired. Lib- liberated, liberated. I'm, I'm a fan of liberated um, than stolen. Th- that's a that's an awesome knife, man. This Montana knife. knife. Uh, Josh makes some of the best knives in the world, and they're just hard to get, man. There's demand, and and he's they do not, a drop, it's gone. He's not compromising supply. We sold a thousand of them in sixty Dang, seconds. That is wild, crazy, man. This is. You know what I want to do though is I want to get. I feel like. Um, yours fieldcraft i feel like it needs like a leather sheath it does like all those other ones have this sheath and i love them on the other ones yeah and i love it on this but for some reason and it's not a functional thing at all yes. it is just like a more of an a, emotional attachment just fieldcraft and the way this just it seems like i need a leather sheath for this we're like doing a custom leather so, sheath so th- there's an edc component that kevin estella or bushcraft survival yeah, guy can, designed yeah Whoop. and so the the cuts the angles that is not considered a true bushcraft knife 
with Stroop Knives. He's a, a former USASOC guy in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And, and Josh, and, and you know, people will get weird with knives. Josh <laughs> Smith and me, who are good friends, we converse about these things. Like Josh is coming out with a Philcraft, or not a Philcraft, but a, uh, a first aid kit, which, because he does knives. And I don't know, if you have knives, you're likely to cut yourself because that's just part of it. And so he's doing first aid kits. I, and I, I don't know, I, I probably shouldn't even say this out loud, but Josh calls me because he's a good friend. He's a good human being. And he's like, hey, I know you make first aid kits, but we're going to partner with this company, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, to make, there's more skin in the game for people in small business. We're not the all-exclusive end-all, be-all solution to anything. Thank you for calling and thank you for letting me know. But more, yeah, absolutely, man. And hey, if they want to train, and because I know that company doesn't train, let us know and we'll train. The same thing with a knife. We created that knife for a particular specific reason, which included EDC and bushcraft. Mm -hmm. So it's a hybrid. Yeah, We're creating a true bushcraft knife with Stroop knives out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Nice. It's actually, they're based out of Hope Mills with a veteran. And we're hoping to have a couple hundred per month that are bushcraft blades, which will allow us to kind of support a veteran-owned business. Nice. But that one's going to be leather sheathed because okay. it's going to be a bigger blade yeah. and it's going to have all the function and utility of a bushcraft blade, including, well, one of my pet peeves on a uh, bushcraft blades is having it serrated mm. for it to be able to cut and gnaw through different things. Yeah. I do like having serration. Yeah. Uh, serration is At least key. a little, little yeah. part, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but I like, but this thing is, is really cool, but I feel like it needed that sheath. So I need to find a company that just will do a custom sheath for this. Yes. You know, that I can like, take some, or send it to them and have them do the mold or whatever they, yeah. however they've shaped a leather sheath. Um, but this sheath is awesome because you can grab it and it has that clip and you can, you know, carry it. If, yes. you, if you carry it appendix or whatever else, or it can clip it into something, whatever. So it, it's awesome. And it's slim. It's like the right that. size. It's the yeah. right size. It's the right uh, but for some reason, I just felt this one needed a yeah. leather. I love the uh, Josh Smith podcast I did. Um, I learned a lot about blades. And yeah. mo more importantly, what I didn't know about blades. Um, and, I, you know, I just saw your blade coll uh, collection. And you have some from uh, half-ace blades. Yeah, yeah. I need to get a half-ace blade. You don't knife. have one? I don't have one. Man. I don't have one. Man. I talked to, it's Andy. Andy Arabito. I talked to Andy years ago. And we we're going to do a Philcraft edition. But we just, you know, business, you know, we, we got, both got lost. So busy. Did you, is that an Eris watch? This is, this did is. Did you do your right edition? Here. Yeah. It, it, did it already come out? Yeah, it came and went. Yeah, yeah. It was quick. <laughs> How soon did that sell out? That was quick. I think it took like a day and a half or so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How many units did you move? Did you move? <sighs> I can't remember. Very limited. It feels like so much has happened. Yeah. You know, a few hundred, you know. Wow, see. And that's a, yeah, that, that watch is like, yeah, Matt Graham does not make, uh, he makes the best. Yeah, this stuff, and, uh, and Matt's just such a good, good guy and so passionate about it. You know, I love when people are just so passionate. Like, he was born to be a watchmaker. You know? He was born for it. You know, and, and I never got to take a class with him, but yeah. apparently. I did. Legit. I have. Yeah. yeah. When I was at the farm in firearms uh, instructor development course that makes you federally certified and all this stuff, I took a block with him, mm -hmm. and uh, he didn't have a military background. I don't think he has a military background. No, it was law enforcement. Law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And he was... And the air marshal. I was so impressed by his instruction, his yeah, professionalism. from everybody. And he, he was so humble. It was amazing, man. Yeah. And, and him making watches, like, he makes some of the best watches in the world. Yeah, this thing is awesome. So I know, yeah, you guys had this in the Fieldcraft store when I first walked in there. I was that's like, right. oh, man, those, that's awesome. So yeah, we did a Jack Car edition. Uh, I think there's going to do some more in the future here as well. That's but, awesome. Uh, what a... What a 
good dude, you know, such so, a yeah. great guy. That's what's great about, yeah, about the, that's a great thing about social media. A positive is that you can make connections Huge with, connections, uh, with yeah. people who are good dudes, like good people. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you think ever to, you'll ever get off social? Um, you know, I use it going back to being able to thank people. That is one of my main reasons for being on there is yeah. that I get to hit that heart button and say, thank you. Um, to somebody. And at, at the end of the day, it's getting harder and harder to do, but like my wife's asleep and I'm exhausted after writing all day and I'm trying, I'm just like, thank you. Thank you so much. And you right? manage yeah. all your own. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah it's it's that, getting oh, difficult. Boom, boom. And so I hit that little heart button or I try to say thank you, uh, just to let somebody know that I appreciate them either following me or the, that engagement or getting the book because they said, Hey, uh, you know, I, I loved it or Hey, I gave it to my dad and he's a big fan now or whatever else. And I just like to say, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, but it's getting harder and harder to do that. Yeah. Uh, the more they suppress my account, I guess the easier it is here. Cause it's like, wait, why is this, you know, massively you know, suppressed. It's just, uh, you know, for me, I kind of don't get upset about it. I realize that's just the nature of it. Um, yeah. So I just, I don't have a contact at, at Facebook to ask, but you can look at the analytics and I don't really do that um, too often, but every now and again, someone that knows how to look at that stuff, will go, we'll open it and do like a screenshot and then just tell me, um, you know, Hey, look at this is, this is the new, new algorithm and it doesn't like it when you put like hashtag two a or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know, of course, uh, but they can kind of draw these little, you know, you can take some lessons. I tag Kim right. Kardashian all the time. That's Are my, you serious? Yeah. Sometimes I do. That is so funny. It's just to see if it tricks the algorithm and some Sometimes it does. A buddy of mine before, like really before Sika came out, you know, before these higher end uh, uh, hunting lines came out, um, would always tag Patagonia with a picture of like their their elk or their moose or whatever, and yeah. say this this hunt would not be possible without Patagonia, <laughs> without the uh, yeah, oh, without all those hardworking people at Patagonia you're enraging you know? those people exactly. It was just like, that was like his thing, yeah. you know. Um, anyway, but now we have some choices, you know. Now there's a lot more choices as far there as is. that stuff goes. Jocko's new hunting line. Yep. Is coming out. I just um, he just hit me up, and um, that that world is a crazy world because it's it's so um, it's so competitive. Uh, interesting. Um, but I, I I mean Origin because it's made in the USA and is camo. Like I, I'm I don't know I'm just not picky when it comes to certain pieces of equipment. Mm-hmm. I I like wearing Sika. Um, I like the company QU. Is it QU? You I think that's how you say it. Yeah, um, they're only direct to consumer, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to give Jocko's stuff a, a go in uh, elk hunt in Wyoming and um, uh, whitetail hunt in Iowa and just see how it works out. Yeah. It's it's made in the USA. Yeah. It's, and it's I like, America. I like that, that guys took a risk. So my buddy um, uh, started sick of John Hart. Uh, two guys started it, but John Hart was a guy I grew up with. But I like when companies change an industry. And oh, take yeah. a risk. They take a risk, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah. cuz when they started that thing, I can't tell you how many people said, "Who's going to pay that much for a camouflage shirt, pants, this whatever." Guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh and so they were going against that. So you're going against the grain. And the only other option for camouflage stuff is really like military surplus stuff, which at the time was all cotton and uh BDUs, and, woodland. Yep, and stuff from uh you know, there were a couple companies doing some wool camouflage out there, but you had to really search those companies out um and uh and system wise you know they'd work great you know thick wool great in a tree stand you know what i mean but if you're like moving or whatever you know walmart was your only option for like going to get some hunting yeah Yeah. cabela's bass pro that sort of a thing but when you're talking about technical you know if you're moving over uh rough terrain uh with a pack uh in 
in warm weather, in freezing weather, in rain, in sleet, in snow, and you're staying out for a certain amount of time, whatever it is, um, you know, there's more options now. But Sika took that risk. They were really the first company to take that risk, figure it out, um, and uh, and then expand from there. So I really like when, it, when somebody does that and really changes the, uh, the market, um, yeah. but takes a risk to do it. That's why I like the guys at SIG so much because they take risks. They do new things. Um, they're not just content that they had a 226 pistol that SEALs used. Um, yeah. And then they just use that forever. No, they're taking risks. They're going out there. Now we have the X macro out there, which is an awesome pistol. 17 round um, subcompact exactly. pistol. Yeah. Like what? Exactly. Or they just, are the military's, you know, feature weapon, the yeah. M5 and the M250. Like I, I, it's crazy because, um, all, you know, in the space of tactical firearms, a lot of people, you know, what I used to see like two years ago where nobody shot a SIG, the advancement of SIG yeah. in, the, in the civilian market or taking military contracts and all the technology and advances they gain and reintegrating them into the civilian market. Not many companies are doing that. And, oh, by the way, it's made in America. So... Not that I don't have a Glock because I have Glocks. Not that I don't have HKs because I'm wearing an HK on my, on my waistband right now. Old school one. Uh, an old school P7. Um, but the big thing is like, if you're going to support companies and you're going to be intentional, kind of pay attention to what companies are making stuff in the USA. And SIG Arms is all made in the USA. Every single pistol, carbine, rifle. Yeah. Uh, and the same ones that the military um, is, is acquiring now through SIG is the same line that they're making in a civilian run of the same gun. So that, that whole thing is SIG's been great. They're awesome. Yeah. And I can all carry the, the, the two, two, six downrange. We had a, uh, two, three, nine and a two, two, eight as well, but I carried that two, two, six. And no matter what I did, if I had to put my M4 down and take off my body armor to go into a meeting or whatever else, I always had that two, two, six. When I did the agency stuff, I always yeah. had that concealed or whatever else. So that was just my, my piss and it fit. I had so many rounds through it. It just fits my hand so well. So I yeah. love it. But when I got home, what did I carry concealed? Glock 19. No, I carry oh, Glock 19. Oh, did you? Yeah, because it's a little smaller, you know. Uh, more compact. Mother, more compact. Um, so that would be my uh, concealed carry at home with Glock 19. Why? Because they didn't have the two, the, the 365. Yeah. yeah. 320 line, a yeah. little later, but in its infancy. Um, and so my first book, James Reese, my character, carries a Glock. Yeah. Uh, Glock 19. Second book comes out by that point. 365 is out. Yeah, they didn't have so, striker fire pistol at all. They had yeah, DA, DASA or, right? or direct, uh, they had uh, double action, single action That's pistols. Right. That's right. But I was jealous. We had the 90, Beretta 92F. Oh, and then when we saw, when we started working with you guys, I was like, dude, why don't we have SIGs? I mean, it comes out of Crane or at least acquired through SOP Mod. Can we get some SIGs? And we didn't get it. And finally, we got Glocks. Thank God. We went to Glock 19, Glock 17, I believe, mm -hmm. Glock, or Glock 22 as well for 40. Nice. And kind of evolve, and then in the agency, all I carried is a Glock 17, and I could I swore by it. But then the striker fired pistols started coming out. The 320 X carry, which is I think my favorite pistol. Um, I like the macro, but it's a little too small for me comparatively. The 320 is my favorite pistol, maybe of all time. Yeah. Utility wise, I mean, yeah, selfishly, I got AXG Scorpion. So that's the heavy, you know, it, it, oh, feel, yeah. it feels great in my hand. It's a little heavier, yes. which I like. Yeah. Um, so I like the AXG Scorpion, the X Carry, awesome, X Compact. Um, all those are great, but I really like that. That's the weight of that, uh, that, yeah. uh, that the tungsten, AXG Scorpion, the, whatever that uh, is. Yeah, they have tungsten infused grip modules, and like the Legion line has that. Um, well, I think though, when I think about firearms, 
like people go, well, you only represent SIG or you, you know, because you work with SIG business wise, that's all you're, it's like, that's not true. Like, I think just like you should have the right overland vehicle or the right vehicle period, have a motorcycle, have the electric vehicle, have the diesel truck, have the, the uh, land cruiser. When you look at that evolution, you're diversifying yourself. And just like that, like my favorite rifle, Bravo Company Manufacturing BCM AR-15. Yeah. Why? Because I've used it for a decade since I left the military, and it's the only thing comparative to a Colt that I had in active duty yep. that has never failed me. And sure, SIG makes AR-15s. Sure, I have a business relationship with them, but I would never tell Ron, the CEO of SIG, that their AR-15 is superior to BCM. It could be in a side-by-side test, but I, I go with what works in my, my weaponry, but I also like options. So depending oh, yeah. on the day, options. yeah, I, the, the MCX 300 blackout, probably the best carbine platform that I've ever shot in my life. Yeah. It's that new LT, the lightweight one. Okay. And it's got a nine inch barrel with a extended can, literally the best gun I've ever shot uh, AR plat- platform was, but an AR 15, five, five, six gun, it's going to be a BCM. Yeah. Just have options. Like I'm, like I'm seasonal. Options. This fanny pack, a Philcraft fanny pack with a P7. Why? P, P7 slim. I'm around my kids. I don't want a single action pistol in my fanny pack that my kids could reach into and activate. Why is the P7 more uh, important in that situation? Because you have to activate the grip module mm-hmm. that pulls the extractor or the firing pin back where you see the bar in the rear end. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do it. And my kids... I've done it in front of them where they I've let them mess around with it. They, can't. they physically can't, can't activate it. it. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's the have options. I love options. Big fan of options. Uh, and what's great about SIG is that they don't care that you do talk about Glock or use a Glock or whatever. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, you know, be along for the journey. You know, they're exactly. just, they're so awesome. Such a great group of people. Ron, amazing. The whole team over there. Um, but I love that they aren't afraid to take risks. And I also love, like we talked about my, one of my favorite vehicles is the forerunner. Because yeah. TRD Pro, out of the box, pretty it's dang good. Go. Yeah. yeah. Just like out of the box, I don't need to change the sights out when I pull that SIG out of the box. Yep. It's right. It's good to go. Yeah. Right out of the box. Buy a Glock, um, you're going to invest in about $300 worth of aftermarket parts yep. just to make it competent. Sure, I mean, just get just optics. I, mean, I, I, I like out of the box. Uh, you know, I, I, people don't like the Glock trigger or whatever. You know, for me, that's, it's fine. I know what I'm getting yeah. out of the box, and that's great. I have some options, yeah, uh, yeah. but, uh, but you got to change the sites. Yes. You know? Those sites are garbage. Yeah. The plastic. I know it's ridiculous. Um, maybe they, I don't even know. I haven't looked recently. Maybe they do off an option. They, uh, I don't think they do. I don't know. I, you know, I have to change out the box on a Glock, which is why I went to SIG. The frame of a, of, of a SIG or the frame of a Glock is very shallow. It's, it's short. And so the frame of a SIG is very tall. So my hands, which are bigger, allows me to adapt my support hand. If I have a Glock, I have to use a CAGWorks slide catch slash slide release because it has a lift on it. So it goes up and it clears about half an inch and then it has a little bar that goes sideways because my otherwise my support hand will pin the slide catch slash slide release every time and and, and impeding the ability for it to lock to the rear um, during a slide lock reload or just pinning it and then, um, you know, it, potentially I'll run that mag dry and then have that locked or I'll lock it in an unintentionally, yeah. which is scary. Like, I don't want any of those in de- deficiencies, but for a SIG, not one SIG that I've shot, even with a macro, does my hand uh, do that. Nice. Same thing with the HK. I mean, yeah. the simplicity 
and the engineering of yeah. this gun is like uh, that's classic we talked about that i yeah well, i need to i'm gonna if dude. you can find a new in box a couple new in boxes that would be yeah. pretty sick dude with the wooden handle with, with the wooden grip. handle one with wooden i'm gonna grip. be on yeah. gun broker tonight i'm gonna get there first <laughs> <laughs> uh, i need to have somebody i mean the armor like we talked about we will we have to get that we uh, have to get that but yeah true believer so second novel i have somebody talking because james reese is now um spoiler alert has uh sailed across the atlantic around uh africa to mozambique you know gone and learning to live again that's right that's yep. everything it's found by this uh former who's now at the agency uh, to bring him back in uh, for a specific reason. But they get now to Morocco uh, to do some training up there. And that's where this uh, friend of his says, hey, have you tried out these new SIGs? Here's a 365, here's a 320. Um, and he's like, oh, let me check this out. And you're out. doing that in real time. I'm real time. <laughs> in real life, that's what I am doing with my carry. I'm like, wow, this 365 is legit. Look at this new 320. I'm like, oh man, these are pretty sick. Oh, I am I liking that. these. Um, so I had my character transition just like, like I did. Uh, um, uh, transition over to, to SIG. So I, yeah, uh, fan of options. It's good to have, good to have options. Yeah, that BCM absolutely. also, I think I have four of them. You gave me one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I have four Bravo company ARs now. Um, love those. But I think the, the price point's a little higher, I think, than the, than the SIG, right? The than BCM the is expensive, but they're made in America. I mean, Paul Buffoni, and he's a former Marine, great American who loves Porsches, by the way. He's oh, got nice. a Porsche collection. Um, but, um, I also like, just like with intention, I like all the companies I represent, whatever it is, as a person who's a consumer, you got to like the people that like, you got to like the people, got to like the people. Yeah. So, so many companies have gotten away with dumping money into a thing and using marketing, um, like Patagonia. I actually like the company Patagonia. I'm not a fan of the people. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a f fan of their kind of position in certain things. They, they do certain things, but Patagonia I have issued military issue Patagonia. They haven't told that story. They sure haven't. They haven't. They're, they're I think got a couple of those myself. Yeah, it's and you know that loft jacket. Then the tag like started coming off. So for a while, like the initial Ooh. ones had Patagonia in them. Yeah. So if guys out there have those, hold on to them. But then the same garment would come as part of those kits that yeah. we got. Yeah. But Patagonia was now the tag was gone. Oh. Uh huh. How convenient. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but you know, like everything I do as a consumer now because of the access to the messaging of the brand, which is part of the conversation here and how um, social media can be a positive thing. Now I'm realizing even in, in my own way, there are certain things I haven't paid attention to, like socks. I haven't paid attention to socks. It's like, I just go to the store and I buy the bag of socks, but now I'm going, hey man, I could be intentional about every consumer decision yeah. I make. And I'm not saying I have to have a business relationship with them, I'm saying, I just got to like the company. So I get up and I'm wearing a cleared hot shirt with a Jack Carr hat and I'm just living my best life. And that feels good kind of as yeah. a consumer to do that. And we've never been able to do that as a consumer because you didn't know. You didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And there weren't as many options. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and now there's that, that touch point, like we talked about with authentic, authenticity, um, where it makes a difference. Yeah. These if you, and you like, to, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a, you gotta connect to the story on a personal level. Yes. These days. Touch point. I like yeah. that. Yeah. If you go into a Western wear company here, anywhere in America, um, you'll walk out disappointed because oh. you'll see the tags will be American flags. There might be even embroidered American flags on the clothing. And they're all made either in South America or Vietnam and, yeah. or China or even China, which is like you see a Wrangler sign and you're like, oh, Wrangler. Oh, these are American traditional pants and they're all made overseas. And you're like, yeah. that's disappointing. 
that's disappointing. You can't always do it, but uh, yeah, I, try. Yeah, yeah. I try, like, have an American-made line. Yeah, I higher like that. price point. You yeah, know? I like the option, and then uh, same thing like better-known companies. I try to uh, go to those as much as I can. If I like the people also, yes. it's not just because it's veteran owned, it yeah. has to be a great product that always has to be it. And then connect with the story, connect with the people, uh, like what they stand for. Like that's a win. That's, yeah. that's a huge win right there. 100%. Um, that sometimes, you know, if you get something like people sometimes, gosh, what was it? Something was not made in the USA. I forget what it was or something. And they're on their iPhone telling me about it and I forgot, you know, like, yeah. guess what, guess where that's made. Yeah. Guess what you're supporting by doing like, yeah. you know, uh, Mike, just, is this made in America? It's like, no, it's made in South Africa. How dare you blah, 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 blah. It's like, uh, you're texting me from a Chinese. Are you made, so. Exactly. Are you texting me from an iPhone? Yeah. Are you, you texting me, me from the new U S made phone? Exactly. That doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Let's, let's hold, let's slow it down. And, oh, and by the way, that product you're buying for me is 30 bucks and it's 30 bucks because it's made in South Africa. And the iPhone that you bought for $1,000 is made in China. And so it's like, let's strike a balance. I think every company should attempt to diversify themselves in supporting America. But some companies, they weigh having employees that work in America versus the actual product. So there's a service and product balance. Right. And so like we have to strike the balance as well. I mean, it's just something you have to do or you won't succeed in business, or you won't, you just won't even, I mean, you won't go anywhere in business if, if that's the mentality. Cause look, are you willing to pay $300 for a Barry compliant piece of equipment? Um, Arcteryx used to get hit up all the time. Like why would anybody pay that money? Because it's Barry compliant, which means it's made in America, every fabric, every zipper, everything. And now they're doing consumer um, or consumer uh, options that are made overseas at the same price point. So you're paying $300 for a thing that's made overseas, or you can go on Virtus Outdoors and get things that are made completely in America. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a conundrum. Yeah, I often someone will say uh, about the Land Cruisers, you know, buy American. You know. It's called Toyota of America. Yeah, and then you know, they and, and if you buy a new one, yeah. I mean, if you buy, yeah. not, not a Land Cruiser, because you can't, can't get those in America anymore. There's not a 2023 uh, Toyota Land Cruiser that you can buy in the U.S. now, yes. unfortunately. But I'm, I'm yeah. hoping it's a marketing thing, and they come back in like 2025, and just they're like they, you know, everybody that's been waiting. I and, know, you dude. know, I'm hoping it is, but I don't know. So disappointing. But I think the I think the Forerunner is made here. The Tundra is made in Texas, yes. right? Tund yes. Tundra's Tundra is made in Texas. Yeah. I think the Forerunner. This is Coma is too. The Tacoma, truck lines. The yeah. truck lines. Yeah. I'm not sure about the Forerunner. I'm not positive, but I know that yeah. there are. You know, the, those, the trucks anyway, the Tundra in particular, I know it was like the first thing I, well, I shouldn't say the first thing, first one I was aware of yeah. that had like a big plant I, employing U.S. citizens, you know, that whole thing. I, I can't remember where I was. I was with, um, I, I used to, I went through a Harley phase and I had six Harleys. And I was, six? Uh, up to at one time? At one time. Nice. I saw them all. Um, but I, I was on a, I was on a Japanese bike cause I, I like motorcycles. And I'm on uh, a Jixer 1000, a 2005 K5 to Jixer 1000. And I'm hanging out with some buddies who have Harleys and they're like, why don't, why don't you step up and buy a, a whatever Harley? Um, you're always driving these Japanese bikes. And I said, do you realize how much of your bike is made in Japan? And he's like, this is made in America, son. I walked over and pointed out several parts on his bike that literally said made in Japan. Wow. Because post Japan, obviously just like Korea, we were in a war, a world war, and we had, just like in Germany, we had, you know, the, the Porsche, for example, Ferdinand Porsche, 
the only reason Volkswagen and Porsche survives as, as companies is because we took control of those companies. Uh. Harley Davidson was outsourcing parts from Harley in Japan post post uh, World War Two. So in the fifties and sixties, and as the the, the Harley Davidson evolved, that didn't stop. So there's still Harley Davidsons that are made in Japan. So parts are coming from Japan mostly because even if they manufacture the bike, they're outsourcing the parts and they'll say it's made in the USA. Well, just like a phone is potentially <laughs> put in a box. Exactly. The parts are outsourced overseas. And, you know, I believe in world world economics because I'm half Korean and I'm a product of the Korean war, but I can get on board with like the balance in that, you know, some of the parts are made overseas that's okay. Korea, Vietnam, and, um, and, and anywhere in Eastern Europe, that's where we fought. That's where we poured American blood for freedom. And it's okay if those companies come from us. I'm wearing a German watch. I got a Porsche, a 1980 Porsche outside that was made in Germany. I'm okay with that. Got an HK P7 right now. An HK P7 on me. (laughs) I know I'm a German. Oh, man. And I think a lot of trucks, right, have a lot of parts made in Mexico. We did that for a while. U.S. trucks is like, made made in America. And then you're like, well, it's made in Mexico. Not sure. Yeah, Yeah. that that watch, the timing piece, the the heart of that watch is likely a Swedish. Is it Swedish? Uh, It's Uh, a Swiss. Swiss. Swiss movement right here. A Swiss movement. But then they put it together here exactly so it's a swiss movement the mechanics mm-hmm. of all the gearing and the and and the things that make it operate are made over there because they make the best via the specs yeah and then we assemble it here in america but oh, i love that I'm fascinated by that and the that that inner weaving of that into a book where you get the details right it's awesome yeah no i love that and then you know just Going through your day, guess what? Guess what? You warmed your coffee up, and guess where that microwave came from? You yeah. know, as you're yelling at you for have arriving your, you know, having your whatever German Porsche or your whatever, yeah. uh, and you're just taking your coffee out of that microwave. All these things you don't even think about. The clothes that got washed. Where is that thing made? I know, you man. know, like like all that stuff. So maybe don't get too upset. You yeah, know? we're trying to do the, doing the best we can. We're doing the best, we're doing we, can. best we can. There's a balance in it. You know, trying, yeah. trying to do it. But uh, I didn't ask you one question from my list of questions. Same thing happened when Tulsi was here. Yeah. We didn't even do any any questions. <laughs> we're like three hours in this podcast. I know. <laughs> I think a lot of it is going to get, because we, we, we had to stop for a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, dude, this was awesome. I'm glad we got to do this. No, thanks for I'll having me. I'll do it again, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, talk, yeah, when the History Thing show comes out, I can't wait to see that be fun. Um, then when you're when the book drops uh in june um oh, yeah i gotta i gotta get on the schedule for a yeah, book, yeah. book drop let's do it thing. let's do it uh man twitter are you, did you do twitter you have an account i did have an account it? i do i actually you know what what's interesting is i've been more active on twitter mm. than really anything because i like I, I don't know. Twitter has this different battle rhythm. Yeah, totally. you go in, you do the thing, and then I'm out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. go through Twitter. I don't pay. I don't look at the comments, the engagement. I'm just in, say my piece, and then I'm out. So yeah. I, I've, I've, and after uh, Elon Musk took over, I've actually gained a little bit of traction. Like yeah. now, I got into following a little bit. You know, I know so. mine popped up in a couple of days when yeah. he took over. It popped up. From uh, I was at eighty seven thousand. Oh man! And it went over a hundred thousand, um, oh. like in a day. Really? A couple of days. Yeah. Wow. So I'm after he took over. I'm at like I was at like thirty thousand and it went up to forty thousand after he took over, which yeah. is kind of I'm like. So I'm wondering why is it algorithm or is it because I, I it's kind of easier to understand the algorithm on Instagram. Meaning if I pull this thing up and I scroll, if they're not feeding me yours, even though I follow you, that's 
an algorithm that for whatever reason is taking you out of my feed or whatever it's called or my whatever scrolling thing. Yeah. If <laughs> I guess my feed is whatever. Um, but on Twitter, it seems like that would be harder mechanically to do for some reason. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. But so I wonder if, if I, if, if that same thing happens in Twitter, I wonder that. And then two, uh, or is it just people coming back to it uh, because Elon Musk took over and they're yeah. like, oh, now I'm not going to be suppressed anymore. Or uh, I'm interest, interested in it again because it's in the news and I want to see what it's like now. So yeah. I'm just curious what that what that's all about. But what's interesting, you know, obviously people got very upset that this billionaire was buying Twitter. Meanwhile, I think it's 15 billionaires who own majority of news, papers, television, whatever, uh, in this country that didn't seem to raise any sort of eyebrows before, but because it was Elon Musk, so uh, weird. who didn't adhere to a certain narrative, um, because he was free not to, uh, and didn't care about the social aspects, the moral vanity of it, yeah. uh, where maybe somebody like a, like somebody else might, um, that people are coming back to, to check on that, but it'd be interesting. Uh, I heard somebody say this the other day and I forget who it was. Um, what if he bought CNN? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? When when though, do you think it's worth? It's got to be worth a lot less than Twitter. Oh, it has to be. <laughs> well, if you look at if you look at it right now, I mean, it got bought out by or got taken over by a new. Oh, did it? See, a new conglomerate, and they they actually purged a lot of the. Oh yeah, old, yeah. Well, they, well, they had a new CEO come in, right? The new CEO came in, and so my my thing is, you know, CNN used to be the news of choice. Uh, especially when the war kicked off because they were reporting in real time. Fox was doing the same, but it was like news and you went there for just news. Now everything is like, has a narrative, has an agenda. And um, I don't know, man, it's, it's tough to get news anywhere and it's tough to get information that's not biased. So it's like, I give up on it. I mean, I I can't, I go to YouTube for most of my news now because I could at least put, put it in the search queue and kind of troll through different narrations but it's like so difficult just to find real information out there anymore on anything or you have to choose who you trust you know that's the other part of it like hey i don't have time to spend my entire day uh looking at all these different sides of all of this because i have to go to work uh and i have to spend x number of hours there or whatever else then i come home and then i have kids or whatever else so you have to kind of figure out who you're going to trust um with to kind of do a little bit of that for you and provide some analysis for you um so but now you can kind of check into some of those backgrounds and think about how you're being manipulated or are you or whatever it so it crazy uh, yeah it's crazy twitter twitter's a, well, the whole elon musk thing is weird because elon musk owns 17 percent of uh, tesla and to become powerful in any position uh at least in accumulated wealth you have to be willing to partner and do things that's how money works especially big money it's not like he has all the power it's like he owns 17 percent of tesla mm-hmm. um 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 What's his name? Um, not Dorsey, but um, uh, Bezos. Bezos o- owns ten percent of Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah, only ten percent. So, it, I mean, ten percent of a trillion dollar company is really well, really good. I don't have to lose any sleep about how he's going to yeah. pay for the next meal. Yeah, exactly. So, he, it, money's not a thing, but it's like to think, just like in the presidency, that the president is running things. No, no, no. There's people running things. Um, so it's a little bit different you know like um i think the best thing he did was come into that company i I think it was a horrible business decision and likely a lot of people around him are like what are you doing but he believes in the first amendment and he said i'm buying this because i don't want the first amendment to get destroyed and so i think that's noble 
And when you're throwing $40 billion plus dollars at a problem like that, and you're worth hundreds and hundreds of billions, look, by the end of the year, Twitter will have lost $1 billion. They are losing $4 million a day. And they just fired half of their employees and gave them a pretty lucrative severance package. The metaverse just laid off 11,000 people and they're giving them a four month severance package, uh, which that's, I don't even think that's ever justified. Like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. But a lot of these companies are gonna have to downsize and you're seeing a turn in big tech. Maybe it's the downturn of the economy, but a lot of things are happening that are very different um, when there was an expectation that this thing would continue to evolve, like the metaverse would be the next thing. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it's going to be the, the next thing. Mm. At least the uh, consumers don't care. Uh, it's wild. It's a, it's a crazy time to, yeah, to be raising kids, especially. That's for sure. Yeah. Do it in a vacuum, in a bubble. Oh, man. At least and there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Utah is the best place we could be for it. I'll pretty good. That. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, Wyoming would be my only. Yeah, I don't want to give away too many other spots, you know. Yeah. But what, what really got us here was having that airport, you know. That means California oh, yeah. and New York people could come in and still zip off. So yeah, that was just having that easy access yep. during during COVID really, um, really got us as far as real estate prices here and just as far as population growth and all, all that stuff. Hey, but if it was, yeah, there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere I can't put the, put the family in a boat and sail to the new world and start over because these people over here are, can't get along, are too divisive. I'm just tired. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm going somewhere and I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut my homestead out of the forest and, uh, you know, be free. Like that doesn't exist. And maybe Alaska, I mean, I might, I'd probably go to Alaska. If, uh, I, I've been looking at could, real estate there. Alaska. Alaska. Alaska's Alaska. awesome, man. Absolutely it's so awesome. There. Yeah, it's the Wild West, and the, and the, the people per land, uh, I think it's got the greatest land mass compared to the population. I'm going to stop talking about it because I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But you, you got to be willing. I mean, you got to be, you got to be, uh, you know what you're getting into. Oh, yeah. I think up there. Like, it, don't let it be a surprise yeah. uh, when winter hits. Oh, I know. You know, it's a different animal. It's yeah. a different beast. I exactly. talked to John Barclow about Alaska a lot. Co so Kodiak and Kodiak's awesome. I love Kodiak. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I got to get up there for a hunt. Yeah, I need to do that. That was, that was one of my favorite trips going up there. Did you hunt with Cole Kramer? Not yet, but it's we've been talking about it for for years. Mm -hmm. I met Cole back in 2012, I think, somewhere there in Cole. a bar in Kodiak. Really? Uh -huh. He saw me wearing Sitka, and I saw him wearing Sitka, and we're like, "Hey, man." What's so, your deal? Exactly. Exactly. And <laughs> so we, great, we hit it man. off. So uh, yeah. I needed to get back up there and, and do a hunt with him. But I try to get up there for one hunt a year. Had to cancel my hunt this year because the book and trying to uh, do so many projects has got crazy. You know, it's the time yeah. to the time to build. Um, so I had to cancel my hunt up there this year. But uh, I'll get back up there. Um, but I think I'd keep going. I think I'd just keep going north. Uh, and I think that the last bit of freedom is probably going to be in the colder climates up north. Um, I don't you don't know. think you're not scared of the Russian invasion through, through, uh, the Bering sea? Well, you know, that's always, that's something to consider, yeah. of course, but as long as you have the high ground, uh, do you remember the show in the eighties, world war three? Yes. It's yes. like a two parter, three parter yeah, mini series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still remember this day, the ambush they were in these, uh, I haven't seen it since then. Um, <laughs> But there's that they're stacked up in these, uh, like pipe, these culverts that were like stacked and they're like in there and they're in waiting the for the, yeah. And they're waiting for the Russians to come across and just to, to mow them down. Wow. You know, it was pretty legit. According to all the drone footage in Ukraine, it wouldn't be that hard to do. It doesn't yeah. seem they're faring well tactically. No. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but there seems to be a lot of issues. That's another one where 
talked to Tulsi a little bit about this, where if you don't adhere to a certain narrative, then all of a sudden you're just labeled. If you ask questions. Yeah. 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 Like Is that weird. You can ask a question. So like, all of a sudden you're pro war. All of a sudden you're no, all of a sudden you're pro Putin or pro Russia or a yeah. Russian stooge or a Russian spy or a traitor. Cause you ask questions. Cause you're like, wait, how much are we spending there? And where's it going? And, uh, and why are the Russians invading? And what's the, I mean, it's just, I think it's important to put yourself in the enemy's shoes. Um, that's helpful. I do that in the books yeah. uh, quite a bit. Um, so maybe that's why I do it so often just in general now. But, uh, but yeah, if you ask a question or if you're anyway, it's just, it's, it's just a very tough time, I think, to have an opinion or to ask a question because now you fear asking the question and maybe you just want to learn. You just want to know. Maybe you're just like, Hey, why are we, how, where's my how, money going? Yeah. And it's my money, by I'll the pay way. A lot of taxes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a question about it? No, yeah. now you're a, now you're a traitor. Yeah. And what? Okay. Like, Anyway, so that so all those labels that used to really, I think, oh, you can't be called anything worse than X, Y, or Z. Now they're just thrown out there without really much thought behind them. So it's just you're just it's gonna a get, new world where words don't really matter. Uh, yeah, and it's and it it makes me want to retreat just from it all. I mean, I, I to get the high ground up here, get the high ground, get long form content like this, and just that's the way we need to communicate. I mean, I just it's so ugly at the very bottom. And the only people kind of advancing um, are the the free market and the people who have figured out the algorithm and are crushing. Like Google was massive, man. I mean, Google is a massive machine. And I'm an end user of some of their stuff, like YouTube and Google, everything. Sure. But the amount of data that they're collecting on everything is, there's no coming back from that. I mean, the far, there's farms here in, I just learned this recently, and I, this is open source. There's farms here in our area of server farms for Facebook and, and big oh, yeah. companies, big tech. Oh, yeah. I wrote about it in the last book, Yeah, actually. Yeah. And, it's wild. And they got some very capable security guys managing those places. Which guess is, where a lot of this water goes when people talk about uh, drought and water and all that stuff. Yeah. Guess what's cool in those servers? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. It is interesting stuff. And scary. Man, we're going to have to cut this. We're going to have to uh, wrap this up because it's, we've been going for a while and we talked for about four hours beforehand. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, are you going to rally race? Are you going to keep rally racing? What's going on? I, I destroyed my rally car in Mexico. I saw that. I didn't crash. I just, the wheels fell off. I drove it till the wheels fell off. And so I have a rally car being built. I hope to be sponsored by Aeros Watches, First Form, Eagles and Angels, um, and do a couple races. I'll do local races in my R2, which is a front-wheel drive Fiesta. Um, and you know, it's a sequential pro rally car, but it's something I thoroughly enjoy and something I always dabble in. I mean, I don't think just based on the economics, I could do it professionally, even though I want to, unless I sold my company for a hundred million dollars and you might see me doing like Ken Block does. Um, but I, it's one of my passions and I love it. And I, and I found out that I'm just decent at it. I'm very good at it. And, um, I want to do it so bad. It's so fun. It's also fun just to rip around. Yeah. I mean, here. rally racers are like, I've always thought some of the best drivers in the world because you're driving on yes. so many different, uh, you're driving on gravel, you're driving in dirt, you're driving in mud, you're driving in ice, you're driving it's on insane. pavement, you're doing all that, those things. Yeah. And of course the videos you'd see of people like <laughs> taking those turns in Europe and everyone's just on the edge of the road. I'm always like, Oh my Lord. Like, it's it's so, so fun. And cool. it's so technical and it's good for my brain. Mm. Um, and I see Ken block who's doing it into his fifties. He's got his daughter and his wife involved that. and they're local. Yeah. It's cool seeing that and them evolve. So yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll be doing it a couple races next year in ARA. 
um, cause I have my pro, I guess, pro rally card or status. Um, but yeah, I love it, man. It's fun. Yeah. I was driving around, uh, before the snow hit riding around on the, uh, uh, the BMW bike. Anyway. Uh, so it's, I was dri- riding around on that thing and, uh, I kind of went on some dirt roads and I was like, Oh, what's that place? And it looked like a, like a little rally race track, motorcycle track, oh. something like that. And it was blocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like trespassing. Uh, yeah. I was on this road and I'm like, well, interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's funny, man. He's, yeah, he's, he's got a good thing going. He's, uh, do you see the Hunatron? The Hunatron is an audio electric vehicle that is like ludicrous. I mean, it's ludicrous speed. It's like the, the, it's like taking a remote control car in your hobbyist days and putting it into a real form factor. You get all the speed, uh, all the traction, and it's just insane. It will change the game of racing in a, in a crazy way. Right. Kill a lot of people, likely, in the development of it. Um, but it's just insane, man. It's like it's super fun. Have you done any um, electric bikes yet? I've done a couple. Just yeah. a couple, but not, not electric motorcycles, but electric yeah. bikes. How about electric motorcycles? Nothing yet. No, I've seen them. I There's want one. Yeah. I want an electric motor. The perfect blend for me would be an electric motorcycle that you could use solar energy to trickle charge or hook it up plugging it into an alternator to invert the power for to charge it while you're driving. Uh, so if that was on the front mount of my truck, yeah. just like my Dometic fridge, I could tr- charge mm-hmm. um, and I could hook it up and then charge it and get to the destination. And it's always charged based on that yeah. alternator. Dude, that would be magic. That's yeah. the perfect balance because you have the fossil fuel elements and then you have the contingency of using the electric. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't done any of the electric stuff yet, but uh yeah, the motorcycle collection is growing. Uh, yeah, you got a BMW. Yeah, that R nine T, that fortieth anniversary edition GS. So oh, the twelve fifty. Pick that thing. Uh, it's twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. Oh, the twelve hundred. Yeah, the twelve fifty is the new one. It's right? like their event. Their, that's their. It, this is this is the one that looks like a uh, kind of scrambler. Got it. Got it. I know mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking yeah, about. So yeah, yeah. It's a street. Yeah, hybrid. Yeah, scrambler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I put. I made it look like it's off road. Cause I put the knobby tires on it and I did some custom stuff to it. Yeah. Um, and it's fun on, on dirt roads and stuff, but you know, you don't want to like, you know, yeah. you don't maneuver on a trail with it. You know what I mean? It's I got the T 700 like Yamaha, the ten, tenure, the, it's a tw- tenure T 700. It's like the, it's like an Africa twin. Oh, nice. But it's Yamaha's version. Okay. And then, um, I'm next year. I'm probably going to buy a 1250 GS just cause yeah. they're like the luxury, they're nice. Yeah. Long way around bike. Yeah. I think I'm going to try that. They did a long way around. Awesome. Long way down. And then I watched recently, finally long way up. And so they went from the tip of South America up to LA, but they did it on electric bikes, but they did it. Let's say I'm going to get this off by a year 2018. I think it came out in 2019. Well, maybe. I haven't seen that. And, uh, but it's interesting because all that stuff, there weren't charging stations along the way. So they're doing it on electric Harleys, but they're, uh, they're, they're essentially experimental. Um, they're not, they, they weren't out there yet. Now they're, they're out there. They were, I don't think they were out there at the time and they did it in the Rivian, like the early Rivian trucks is their support vehicle. One of those things. I did not know that. Yeah. So it's interesting, but the whole, because it was so early, so they had to go down. I think they had to like drop in these charging stations along the way so they could do the trip. And then they had to problem solve like how they're going to charge these bikes. If they <laughs> went to this place and it, they plugged in and something wasn't working, like how they were going to you know, wow. no one's so a long on. way up. Yeah. Long way up. Was it both Charlie yep. and Charlie uh, and Ewan, Ewan McGregor? Yeah. That's a, that's interesting. I gotta, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Check it out. It's interesting because it's the electric thing, but it wasn't really a good commercial for, uh, electric bikes and electric vehicles because you watch it and you're like, 
this just seems like a I, huge headache. I tested the Ford Lightning electric truck last week. Oh, nice. Yeah, I saw that. In Wyoming, and it was epic fail. Oh. I, it, it took me 11 hours to charge and get 11 miles of range. That seems problematic. That is very problematic. If that was hybrid, it would be perfect. And then I did some research because people were like, well, that's, that's dumb. And I'm like, okay, well, just let's keep an open mind. And then <laughs> I found out the first hybrid electric gas vehicle ever made was made by Ferdinand Porsche in the early 1900s. Really? Yeah. Porsche made the first electric um, gas vehicle. And it looks like a mold Model T, and it has electric and uh, gas. Which is like, what? It's like, yeah. Why, hybrid is the best. If they could figure out hybrid and performance, yeah, um, it would be the perfect balance. I think, I think it'd be perfect. Interesting. Well, I check out the long way up. I love those. They always motivate me to, uh, yeah. you know, and watching it with the kids is great too, because you're seeing these different cultures, uh, especially long way around well, all of them really. Um, but, uh, they're so fun to watch. So motivating. You get to see the gear. You kind of get to see what's working, what's Geeking not out. totally geek out on the, on the gear and everything. But yeah, for electric, like it was, there were, there were a couple of years too early. Yeah. I think now they really wanted to do it. Maybe. Maybe, yeah, if they could figure out a way. Because they're trying to do solar panels on the, uh, I think it was they had the Sprinter also. They had like a couple of different support vehicles. That and, didn't work. And if you if you look closely, you'll always notice a Land Cruiser like <laughs> in the background. They're like not highlighting it. They need but it's like, reliable. Yeah, exactly. That's like, wait, what's that doing back there? I just oh, saw something go so by. Uh, but they're trying to do like solar panels on the van and seeing if they could get these things to charge and, and all that sort of a thing. But it, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's fun to watch. I love watching those That's things. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I hope they do another one. I don't know whether they're going to would go next but um but yeah they're pretty fun those are rich people problems we should one day maybe we'll get to that position where like let's just do like a documentary on traveling through whatever and yeah. just do that 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 sounds like it'd be fun yeah i mean that's and i got online to check out some things and of course as always there's some haters out there you know but hey you have this hollywood star who jumps on a bike and rides around the world for real and yeah. he does it for real right <sighs> I mean, it's pretty legit. It sounds like a dream to me. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty. That's that's pretty amazing. But uh, maybe we'll do that one of these one of these days. That'd I do want to do. I want to do the um, O'Neill Racing Rally School because I never got to do that in the military. And all the Favorite guys that school, I, uh, yeah, that I know that did a bunch of different schools. I did two different ones. I did BSR and and Blackwater. And yeah. It was so much fun. Those are fun too. But the guys that did the O'Neill Racing yeah. say that was like the it's good the best one. They had the best time there. Yeah. And they do the rally racing. Dirtfish is good too. <sighs> Dirtfish. Where's like, that? So my co-driver for Mexico was Ken Block's daughter's co-driver. Um, and I talked to him. I talked to uh, Alex, who is uh, Ken Block's co-driver, and Rhiannon, who is Travis Pastrana's co-driver. Both of them are married, which is the best top two <laughs> outside of Brandon Semenek are um, Ken Block and Travis Pastrana. Both their co-drivers are married to each other, and they live in Idaho, in like a small ranch in Idaho, like a small house um, it's not a small house. It's a beautiful house in Idaho, but it's kind of rural. It's really rural. She's from Australia. He's from Italy. And they are my co-driver trainers. Nice. And they co-drive trained me here in Hebrew. They stayed at my house. And I've been out to their place, but they train in Dirtfish. And Dirtfish is in Washington State and has the full gambit of all that stuff. So it has the racing school. It has the co-driver school. They have a company called Oz Rally Pro where they teach co-driving. The first step in becoming a good rally driver is going to co-driver school to understand how to call notes. Mm. And it, it, if we had that in active duty, even for planning an operation, huh. for egressing or, or just evasion, dude, it changes the game. 
because you could blindly take a road understanding kind of how the road navigates and trust the inputs from the co-driver or even you analyzing the road yourself and drive twice as fast than you would because you'd be hesitating or lifting at every junction because you don't it's an unknown it's so crazy it's called recce that's the name of the whole process that was started overseas um but so fascinating man because i you know what we should do one day is do the safari the um tut hill uh african uh, safari uh, uh, rally race, yeah. which takes you across. It's like the Dakar route, part of the Dakar yeah. route. Ken Block did it in a 80s Porsche, air-cooled Porsche. But uh, Tuthill does it all in uh, 80s cool air-cooled Porsches. So you could pay them, they build it, and then they could ship it back to you. Like, what? And, and you do two, me and you could drive in a car and do that whole series in Africa, supported the entire way. It's like a week. And then, t- and then you could take the car home. That's awesome. Dude, the mo- it's t- look it up. Tut Hill uh, African Safari. Dang. Amazing. Ken Block just did it recently. I'm going to check that out. And then BMW has their off-road motorcycle course. A couple of them here. Yep. What's it called? Uh, something. Uh, gosh. Anyway. I think they have one in Colorado. Then yeah. There's a little school. Like, yeah. The training schools. Yeah. So I think I want to do that uh, as well. It'd be kind of so fun. fun. Yeah. We got to hit the back country when it gets warmer. Let's do it. And do the trips, man. Let's do it. Yeah. Got to show you the new bike too. The other uh, KTM uh, 350. Um, So I'm going to get that. I'm putting the barely legal uh, package on it right now. So I can ride on the road and not have to worry about getting pulled over type deal. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we'll do it, man. We'll do it. We've been doing this for a while. Thank you for coming up. I appreciate it. That's what I love most about the podcast is it's an excuse to, uh, to sit up. down and hang out for a little bit because we're both so busy yep. uh, all the time. It's hard to, you know, take time out of the day and just spend an hour, you know, hanging out. But um, we'll four. also come back up and we'll, we'll grow, bring the fam up and we'll Be do fun, that man. stuff. So Can't wait. Let's do that. And then, uh, yeah, History Channel and book coming out, but we'll talk about more about that. But it's available for pre-order right now. It is, yeah. uh, Prepared. I'm Mike Glover, yep. and uh, thank you for asking me to do the forward. So awesome. And thank you so much for all your support. It seriously means so much to me. Um, and if people are wondering, like, why we didn't talk about your background, because we did a podcast, like one of the first ones that yeah. I did, um, uh, that's back there. So you can go back and listen to that one to find out all about Mike's background and how he started Fieldcraft and what he did in the military mm-hmm. and in the agency and, and that sort of a thing. So that is out there on an earlier podcast. And yeah, man, we'll do it again at some point soon. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks, brother. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother. We all know how finances can take a major hit during the holiday season. That's why you need to go to NavyFederal.org and check out everything that they have going on. I have been a member since 1996, and I could not be more pleased with how all of that has gone. Partner up with Navy Federal Credit Union to pay down credit card debt. You could get into low APR on balance transfers with their Platinum credit card. It's their lowest rate card, and it's a great tool to pay down debt. Navy Federal can even help get you started on your next home improvement project. They offer home equity line of credit with convenient access to funds when you need them at a variable rate. You can also get a fixed rate equity loan that has set monthly payments for large purchases. Consolidating debt with a home equity loan could also streamline and lower your monthly payments. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, where their members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Loans subject to approval, call 1-888-842-6328 for details about credit card costs and terms. H-E-L-O-C APR as low as 6.5% as of November 23rd, 2022.
I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of The Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash Danger Close and use code Danger Close 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, but SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all, and they're always pushing pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation. They crush. So thank you so much for that friendship and support. Uh, it will never be forgotten. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the danger close podcast. All right. Where to start today? I think with a SIG P320 customized by true precision, and that is true dash precision.com. So check this thing out. This is awesome. They did a great job with that. Check out the cross tomahawks there also on the grip. Thank you guys. Threaded barrel, Trigicon RMR, and this thing just feels good. So thank you guys, True Precision, and thank you, SIG. Love that P320 line. And check this thing out right there. Fieldcraft Survival, Montana Knife Company collaboration. And this is a great little blade. Mike said that they don't have any left. So some of these drops that they do with Montana Knife Company, they're limited edition. So you got to sign up for their newsletter if you want to find out when the drop is and get on it quick. So this thing is just solid. Love this thing and love what they're doing out there at Montana Knife Company as well. Black Rifle Coffee Company, man, that is the way I start my day. This is their exclusive coffee club subscription right here that comes with a little card that tells you a few different ways that you can make it and a sticker and, of course, the coffee right there. Always some really cool artwork on these bags, veteran-owned and operated. Thank you, guys. Awesome right there. They also have a sticker club. So what is in here? A few different stickers, and I think it's monthly. Whoa, look at those cards. Look at that artwork. There are some talented people over there at Black Rifle Coffee Company. Awesome. And look at this. I know Mike Glover and I talked about HK on the podcast. And right here, this is a Vickers Guide. And this is their new one. And H&K Volume 1. Let's see if I can get this out of here. Yep. So this is the one with the slipcase signed by Larry Vickers. 
and James Rupley who takes the pictures right there. These are like coffee table books, beautiful photos, great history. I uh, love what they're doing over there. I have the whole collection, vickersguide.com. Check them out. Follow them on the social channels as well. And also follow Larry Vickers, Vickers Tactical, and James Rupley Photo uh, on Instagram as well. So right here. Bam, Vickers Guide. Love these things. I always go right to them when I'm doing some research for a weapon for the novels, and that's my my first stop. So uh, what else we have here? Half-face blades. All right. So for a while now, I have wanted a half-face blade tomahawk. And I already know what's in here because I opened it earlier. But uh, blade. Right there, Andrew Arabito, a SEAL buddy of mine, has half-face blades and does incredible work. And now, oh yeah, here it is. Oh, tomahawk. Oh, there it is. Nice, Beto. Thank you. Look at that. And they match. <laughs> Solid. Ooh, this is nice. Beto, thank you so much. Sincerely appreciated. And... I think that is it for today. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Mike Glover and Fieldcraft Survival, hit them up on the social channels. And that is Mike Glover Actual on Instagram and Mike.A.Glover also on Instagram and Fieldcraft Survival on Instagram. The website is fieldcraftsurvival.com. You can check out the training courses they have on there and the products as well. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. My upcoming novel, Only the Dead, is available for pre-order right now, wherever you get your books. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.